typically speaking, um, if, if a case is dismissed altogether, it can be, uh, we can start or initiate a record seal right away. If the person was convicted on a misdemeanor, typically there's a period of two years where you have to wait before you can get the record sealed. If it's a DUI or domestic violence charge, it's seven years. And on felony charges, it can be longer, but you can still obtain a record seal, even for felonies and gross misdemeanors in the state of Nevada. I'm attorney Michael Becker of the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you've been arrested in Las Vegas or anywhere in the state of Nevada, call us at 702 Defense. We'd be happy to talk to you about your case. Uh, so this just happened, look so. Cash Money rapper Glock9, real name Jaquavius Smith, has reportedly been charged with multiple counts of attempted second degree murder. According to Click Orlando, the new state attorney for Florida's ninth judicial circuit, Monique Worrell, was sworn into office on January 8th. One of her first orders of business was filing five counts of attempted second degree murder against a 20 year old rapper, who's allegedly a known gang leader. Investigators accused the rapper of firing a gun into an Orlando home last July as he was attempting to target another rapper. Although a woman was inside with her children at the time, no one was injured. A witness told detectives Glock 9 wants to be the only rapper coming from Orlando. Last October, Orange County deputies said Smith was the target of a shooting between a rival gang outside the mall of Millennia Food Court. The following month, he was arrested for possession of a concealed weapon by a convicted felon, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and possession of a shorthanded gun, rifle, or machine gun. As one might deduce, Smith has a substantial arrest record. Last June, he was taken into custody in Orlando, Florida on charges of possession of marijuana with the intent to distribute an illegal firearm possession. He was slapped with 17 charges in total with the most serious being possession of cannabis with intent to sell, possession of a firearm by a convicted felon, and 30 degree grand theft of a firearm. At only 15 years old, he was arrested in connection to a shooting that left a fellow teenager hospitalized. Consequently, he was charged with aggravated battery with a firearm, an unlawful discharge of a firearm, as well as also a violation of probation for trespassing. In October of 2018, Smith was taken into custody again on several charges, including possession of a concealed weapon by a convicted delinquent, grand theft in the third degree, and possession of less than 20 grams of marijuana. So yeah, what do you guys think? Do you think he did it? Do you think he didn't? Let us know your thoughts in the comment section below. Hit that subscribe button and notification button to stay up to date on all of our new videos. And as always, make sure to keep it all the way locked to hiphopdx.com. A, a, a person will falsely, uh, maliciously accuse another person of rape. What are some of the motives for that sort of, of behavior? Well, there can be many. Uh, I represented uh, a defendant in Las Vegas who was having an ongoing flirtation with a coworker. Uh, actually, he happened to be the boss. She was his employee. But I had witnesses who all testified that they had seen them engage in conduct, you know, flirtation, and that there appeared to be some kind of, you know, sexual tension between the two of them. She was married. At some point in time, they had sex. 
Thereafter, she complained and said that it was rape. Why would someone make a false allegation? Uh, a married woman might, might feel guilt or shame that she succumbed to, to temptation. And then in order to try to rewrite it, I mean, the mind can, uh, I think it's, it's not uncommon for, you know, the subconscious perhaps to, you feel guilt, you feel shame, so you rewrite the story in your mind. Instead of, uh, I felt uh, some passion, I, I gave in to the passion, I wanted to have sex with him, it was, oh my God, I'm, I'm married, I can't be doing this, wait a second, I didn't choose to do this, he raped me. So I think, and, and this was a case uh, where the jury found my client not guilty because they believed that she was consensually engaging in the sex. Um, and I think she was motivated uh, to fabricate the allegation to try to preserve her marriage thereafter. Um, some so she, she may have been trying to get attention and sympathy from her husband? That's, that's a possibility. Or, or I mean, I, I suppose also... Uh, uh, it may be a situation where he found out that she had was having an affair and she tried to explain it by saying that she was raped. Uh, or perhaps her own inability to manage her shame and guilt and, and uh, knowing in terms of how she was going to process it, maybe she couldn't keep it to herself or was going to share it with her husband or maybe she was looking for attention from her husband and to make her feel like she had been victimized by someone. I mean, who... You, 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 you can't always know exactly what's going on in someone else's mind. But we do see situations where people will uh, make false allegations. Sometimes it could be that uh, a woman is vying for the attention of a man. Maybe she can't get his full attention. She knows that ultimately she's going to lose out and, and not... Um, succeed in winning his affection or attention so she could do it out of spite mm -hmm. so um you know it's documented it happens i've seen it happen i've seen juries acquit um and from my perspective i would say that rape allegations in particular are, are difficult cases for the prosecution to prove we've been seeing a lot of cases in las vegas uh, having to do with pool parties and people come in often from out of town. They come to Las Vegas to attend, you know, a massive pool party at one of the casinos over the weekend. And of course, there's uh, often drug use that goes on uh, at those engagements. The casinos have actually been making a substantial effort to cut down or put a stop to drug use at, the, at those uh, parties. So. Often what we're seeing is that it's private hotel security that are searching people and not law enforcement. And so when private security search, if they violate your rights, it's not, it's, it, 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 it's not there's no remedy because only um, your Fourth Amendment rights only protect you against law enforcement searches, not against private security searches. So the suggestion would be if, obviously, if you're going into a private, uh, a private party and you're asked for consent to search, you can still say no and you can simply leave, discard the contraband and, and go in without it. Um, we've seen a lot of people that have been arrested 
and charged with very serious uh, drug-related offenses relating to um, their attendance at these pool parties. The good news is that for the most part we've been able to negotiate very, very reasonable dispositions. It may be a situation where someone's going to a pool party to meet up with a large group of friends and they're carrying, for example, the ecstasy tablets that everybody at the pool party plans to take. We've had uh, clients that, that were initially facing very serious charges in relation to possessing uh, sometimes even a substantial quantity of narcotics and we've been able to negotiate resolutions that even in some cases involve pleas to misdemeanors with no jail time. Um, so the good news is that uh, if you've been charged with a trafficking offense or possession for sale of narcotics at a pool party, there is reasonable hope that you can obtain a good result and not have uh, that arrest and prosecution be something that causes you substantial harm in the future. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you or a loved one has been charged with a criminal offense in Las Vegas or throughout the state of Nevada, trust in me and my legal team to get your case dismissed or otherwise negotiate a resolution that causes minimal harm to you in your future. <coughs>
Yeah, did y'all hear about Rudy Giuliani getting COVID? Y'all think he's gonna make it? Probably won't. He looked like he got COVID. He looked like he had COVID before he got COVID. In fact, his face looked like COVID. If COVID was a human, it would be Rudy Giuliani. That's what it would look like. His whole face is like a big old pulse, like a sore, like an open wound. Shamika, what's up? What's up, Nubian Queen? No more. Greg Anderson, what's up, Greg? Pauline Conway. Perry M. You know, uh, Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump have a strange, strange relationship. I mean, very strange. Remember, um, what's up, Justin Murfield? Appreciate you. Appreciate you, King. Remember that, like, skit him and uh, Donald Trump did with Rudy Giuliani had a dress on and a wig and earrings and lipstick, you know, cross-dressing. And Trump was acting, they, they kissed or act like they were kissing. I can't remember if they kissed, but if they didn't kiss on screen, if they didn't kiss on screen, then, you know, it was always an opportunity off screen, right? Fam, I, I just don't have no homeboys that I play with like that. You know, I don't have no homeboys like that. I don't have no friends like that, that play like that. Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani. In fact, you see why they was friends. You know, Giuliani was one of the worst mayors in the history of the United States of America, probably the history of the world. Now, probably one of the worst in the history of the world, Rudy Giuliani. He was a horrible mayor, but Trump didn't have a problem with him. In fact, let me look at his time. Rudy, Although it is now legal in Nevada to possess up to an ounce of marijuana, it is still illegal to drive while under the influence of marijuana. Nevada DUI laws remain unchanged. You can still get a DUI if a cop catches you driving stoned. Even if you are driving safely, you can still get convicted of a DUI for having only two nanograms per milliliter of marijuana in your blood. 
If a cop pulls you over for driving erratically or breaking a traffic law, the officer will ask you questions, observe your behavior, and probably ask you to take a preliminary breath test. If you pass the breath test, the cop may suspect that you have ingested marijuana rather than alcohol, especially if you smell like marijuana. The cop may also request that an officer with specialized drug recognition evaluation training come to the scene to investigate. Every driver in Nevada is assumed to have given implied consent to submit to a blood test if they are ultimately arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence of marijuana. If you refuse to take a blood test, the police officer will have to get a warrant before taking the blood sample by force. A first-time conviction for DUI with marijuana that causes no major injury is a misdemeanor. The penalties are two days to six months in jail or 24 hours to 96 hours of community service, DUI school, fines of up to $1,000 plus court costs, a victim impact panel, a 90-day suspension of your driver's license, However, drivers can usually get a restricted license after 45 days. Penalties grow harsher with each successive DUI a person gets within a seven-year period. If you or a loved one has been charged with a marijuana offense here in Nevada, call the Las Vegas Defense Group at 702-DEFENSE and we'll talk about how we can get your charges reduced or dismissed. Yeah, that was torture, but it built something in me that I hadn't had before then. Uh, it gave me a drive. It, it gave me a, a, a commitment that that I had never discovered in myself as a as a twenty one year old. And and let me just say how it was so easy for me to get caught up in the drug selling when I came home in nineteen ninety eight, because that's what the culture was doing. When I came home in 1998, Master P had just dropped an a, 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 a album called Ghetto Dope. Ghetto Dope. Man, 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 crack like this. And it taught you how to cook crack from step one to step ten. So when I came home after being gone from 91 to 98 and I come back and I look into the black community, everybody's selling dope. The dope man image is what the girls want, is what the preachers like. Everybody like the dope man image. So everybody's selling dope. They rapping about it. So, man, I just get in line with the culture. I get in line with the culture because the culture almost made it like it, it was logical to sell dope over working because the rewards were so great, Right. So many black children of our culture followed that mon that bullshit, nigga hustling, selling dope. Me, 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 me crack like this. So we went from that to trapping to now drilling and killing. So the culture reshaped me after all the good that TYC had done. My culture reshaped me in the pimping and the drug dealing. I went back to robbing, nigga snatching purses, all that shit, nigga, because that's what the culture was doing. The penalties are up to five years in the state prison if force was involved, 
up to four years in state prison if there was no force. And if the panderer uh, forces someone under the age of 18 to engage in sex, the penalty is up to 20 years in state prison. And if no force was used with a minor, it's up to 10 years in state prison. Additionally, the fines can be very severe, up to a half a million dollars for someone convicted of pandering. I'm Nevada criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. My office gets lots of calls by people who are worried that they may have outstanding warrants in Las Vegas. You can usually find out by doing a simple online search. Here are three things to know. One, to check online for warrants issued by the Las Vegas Justice Court, go to the Court Records Inquiry website provided below in the video description and follow the prompts. Cases with active warrants will appear with a red and white W to the left of the case number. Two, to check online for warrants issued by the Las Vegas Municipal Court, go to the Marshall Warrant Search website provided below in the video description and enter the person's name and social security number. Three, you can also check warrant status by phone. For information on warrants issued by the Las Vegas Justice Court, call 702-671-3201. For information on warrants issued by the Las Vegas Municipal Court, call 702-229-6201. Although these websites will indicate whether you have a warrant issued by a judge in a Las Vegas Justice Court or Municipal Court, if there is an arrest warrant from a local police department, unfortunately, you may not be able to determine whether such a warrant exists without the help of an attorney. If you or a loved one is facing criminal charges in Nevada, call my legal team at 702-DEFENSE for a free consultation. The attorneys of the Las Vegas Defense Group are here to fight for the best resolution possible in your case. There are some misconceptions about conspiracy. Some people think that in order to prove a conspiracy, that two or more people have to be charged. That's not the case in the state of Nevada. In Nevada, one person can be charged with a conspiracy, as long as two or more people were involved. Additionally, one can conspire with a law enforcement officer to commit a crime, even though the law enforcement officer was acting in an undercover capacity and had no actual intent to carry out the crime. And you'll be safe. Now, because it's card specific, Let's say that you have two credit cards. One's a $1,000 credit limit, and the other's 5,000 credit limit, okay? The way the credit algorithm works is if you are maxing out, let's say your $1,000 credit card, and you've got 800 bucks on it. But over here on your $5,000 credit card, you only got 50 bucks on it. You got 1% on this one, but over here, you have 80%, right? Because you have 800 out of 1,000, okay? Now, combined total, 
right? If you took the average, your average is only going to be 40%. Two credit cards, one's basically at zero, the other is at 80% maxed out. So you're at a 40% average. Still bad, but it doesn't work on average. It works on card specific. So each card is making impact your credit score. What you want to do is start with the, cre- the credit limit that has the lowest credit limit. Okay, so as you're writing down the statement dates, right, your card, Capital One, Discover, Barclays, whatever your credit cards are, and you have your statement date next to each one of them, okay, also write down your balance right in that next line. What is the balance? What do you owe on each one of those? And then what you're going to do is you're going to start with the lowest credit limit. This is called a snowball effect. This is how you go get momentum. Making that first payment, bringing it down to 2%. Remember, I talk about 2% utilization. So let's say we've got three credit cards, right? We've got that 1,000. We got a 5,000. We got 10,000. You're going to start with a 1,000. You owe 800 bucks on that card. You're at 80% utilization. You, your only focus is to get that credit card down to 2%. You need to get it down to 20 bucks. That is your only goal. And trust me, when this happens, if you time it, because you remember, you're making your payment before the statement date. So when that card reports, it's going to immediately raise your credit score dramatically. So even if you're average, you're looking at a credit card and you're like, my average is 28% utilization because you have multiple credit cards and it's spread between. It is making impact per card, not the average. So you'll see that once you get that lowest one paid off, down to 2%. Don't pay it off completely. $1,000 credit card, you want it down to 20 bucks. Okay? That's what I want you to focus on, getting it down to 2%. Once you get momentum, you get that thing paid off, down to 2%, move up to the $5,000 card. Get that down to 2%. And then move up to the $10,000 card. Move that down to 2%. And then you're going to see your score is going to dramatically increase. Right? Payment history is 35%. The biggest contributor to your credit score is going to be your payment history. Now, what does payment history mean? Payment history means you guys paying your bills on top. Okay, a credit card, a car, a house, a loan is not going to be late until it becomes day 31. If your due date, for example, is the 7th of the month, okay, you don't make your payment till the 10th. It's not going to go in your credit report. Okay, just because your payment was due on the 7th and you made the payment on the 10th, now you may have a $30 late payment, but it's not going to report until the following 8th of the month. So your payment's due on the 7th, and you're like, man, uh, uh, I didn't, whatever happened, boom, 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 and you don't pay it till the 30th, 23 days later, still not going to go in your credit report. It's only going to report. 31 days late. When you're 31 days after the payment due date, that's when it hits the credit report. Okay, and that's what you want to avoid because late payments are going to make the biggest impact on your credit score negatively. Okay, now we have late payments. Okay, if you're looking at the high impact and you're like, okay, Mike, I'm looking at my high impact and I've got my payment history is at 97%. And uh, my utilization's at 80%. Okay. And I've got three derogatories. Okay. What are some things you could do? Well, just use the same formula. Go through the credit cards, find out your statement dates on each one of them, get the first credit card, the lowest credit limit, down to 2%. It's the first thing you want to do. Okay. Now, collections, 
and late payments and charge-offs are the other high impact. So what are some things we can do? Well, the first thing you have to do is you have to realize that you have two options. According to the FCRA 1970, 1970, they say, that you, as a consumer, can challenge anything that you feel is unfair, incorrect, obsolete, or erroneous on your credit report. So now you're like, okay, cool, I can do it myself. Option one. Option two is you can hire a company to do this for you. And option three is you can hire a badass to do it for you, right? And the reason I say that is because, you know, Johnny's trunk credit repair who promises you the world or you use a company, right? I'm not going to trash any companies here, but you use a monthly company. Commonly prosecuted crime by the U.S. government, mail fraud, right? You'll often see this in white collar crimes, very common. What is it? How do they prosecute people, right? Those are the questions that we're going to answer right now. Mail fraud is broadly defined. It's defined by U.S. Code 18 U.S.C. 1341. It means to obtain money or property under false pretenses or to sell or distribute, exchange, supply, or use counterfeits. Now, does mail fraud only apply to mail being mailed out of state or does it involve the use of any private or government mail carrier, right? The answer is any use of mails falls with under the gambit of the mail fraud statute, like the U.S. Postal Service, a private interstate carrier to commit any crime of dishonesty, theft, all of that will result in a mail fraud charge. That, oh, okay, okay, okay. That you got me? Sense. That makes sense, that makes sense. Das. Ah, that's deep, that's deep. Okay. Das, das so can part. I do it? You gonna put me on? Most definitely. Okay, okay, you know some people that need some trade lines? Because I got some clear cards. They're going to contact you. <laughs> I'm going to tell you. But why yeah. shouldn't I, though? Because like, somebody, somebody's like, yeah, you shouldn't do that. Because uh, of the person, obviously they don't get a card. You don't give them a card. But no. Is there any reason? Fear. Somebody put fear, fear into somebody you. Just, <laughs> they said, you know, they said. <laughs> You can't do it or don't do it because of this, right? And the only thing you could think of, what if somebody gets access to my credit cards, right? I'm a statistic. What if somebody get access to my credit cards? You think about this, right? Is that how many safety alerts do you have for your credit card? I got a few, yeah. Okay, do you have your push notifications on? Yeah, well, somebody, See, yeah. listen, I tell people this, is that one, all my credit card alerts and my credit cards go to an email. Specifically for my credit cards. It's the only push notification that's going to pop up is credit card alerts, right. transactions, things that happen. It's the only thing that's going to pop on my screen for my emails. Most people don't think to monitor, but people don't get access to it. Then reverse engineer. Hey Dave, you give me 650, I'm going to add you to my credit card 
to help you build your credit. Hey, Dave tried to access my credit card and just gave me 650 for trying to access it because now I blocked him and took him off and now he has no purpose. Mm -hmm. What's Dave? Dave, how much money will Dave have to spend to try to go out and capitalize off of somebody else versus understanding that I can get my own credit card and capitalize off myself? I've been in this business over three years. I've never had anybody compromise a credit card. Hmm. All right, y'all. Y'all see what it is, okay? I got you, okay? Pull up. I got you. That's so dope, man. That's dope. So, one, I want to say thank you for um, for educating our community because when I see the boxes it's not just all black but yeah. it be a lot of us you know what I mean like so that that's very very important give me a testimonial give me two testimonials from your students from my students um I got first of how many students you got right now we're pushing a little over 500 in the mentorship um, and about a thousand in my financial literacy course. Dang, who, that's dope. And, and, oh yeah, so are yeah. we going to talk about the morning meetup? Can we talk Okay, about? we can. We definitely can. So, yeah. yeah, so we got the, uh, I have a morning meetup where I'm literally on a call every single morning teaching entrepreneurship. It's really a strong community. We're, we're hovering around 90-something people every single morning from all, all across the country. People don't want to start their business. Um, they need a community of people like it's a, it's a whole built-in audience and we talk literally every morning We like a family and uh, Marcus called me. He was like, yo, I want to add Yo, and this wasn't even he didn't call me like yo Dave I need an affiliate link like yo. I want to I want to sell your course. He was like yo How much would it be for me to just add my students to your morning meetup? And um, I just thought, I thought I was big. I told my wife, like, yo, this, this is a real stand-up guy. Like, I just want to add value to my community. Yeah. They don't got to pay no extra money. He said, I, he said, I'm paying for my students, which I thought was really, really dope, man. I appreciate it. So, and the reason being is that, is that mindset is everything. I, the, the, to operate boldly, to be out here and... It takes daily reassurance. I realize me as one person, I see how much we interact in the Facebook group, how much we interact in our Instagram groups. Um, and it's just that daily interacting. So when I see what you do with Sleepless Nights, I go, it's amazing to have somebody that's willing to wake up every morning and give an hour of time, that reassurance to get your day started. Get that day started, keep it on your mind, and it keeps us motivated to go out and execute, right? Yeah. Go out and kill something. If you want to be successful, I'm going to tell you now, you got to kill something every day. And as brutal as it sounds, you have to do it every day. You don't get days off. I don't care what day it is. I don't care if it's a holiday. I don't care. You have to execute and win that day. And I, I delivered a message, and I went live, and I talked about that. And they went crazy, and I go, listen, you got to kill something every day. And I go, man, my man David Shands kills something every day. Every day he wakes up, 
and kills a call for his people to motivate them to go out and kill something every day. I want to add, I don't want to do that for my community. I want to add somebody who already does it naturally. So that way that gets added to my community is something that's already that's awesome. in you that goes out and kills. You already do it. That's awesome. I don't want to duplicate what somebody else does. No, let's add and bring it together. Collaboration over competition. Pimping and weapon possession. It was also noted that an alleged witness to the prosecution that agreed to testify against Chief Keefe mysteriously went missing before the upcoming trial. Um, Mr. Chief, do you have anything to do with that? The Chief's next arrest happened on April 8th, 2017 in Miami Beach, Florida. Police claim that while Chief Keefe was driving in a green Lamborghini, his passenger got out in the middle of traffic and started talking to the car behind theirs. Cops saw the commotion and thought they saw an exchange being made between the two suspects. This led to the police pulling over Chief Keefe and ultimately discovering marijuana in one of the vehicles. Keefe was charged with a DUI and was booked into jail moments later. During his sentencing, the cops revealed that they had found eight different drugs in the chief's system at the time of his arrest, all of which included morphine, codeine, promethazine, THC, hydrocodone, norcodine, dihydrocodine, and hydromorphone. Sosa eventually avoided jail and a guilty plea, but was sentenced to six months probation and 50 hours of community service. The final charge was reckless driving. And last but not least, we have the Chief's final arrest in South Dakota. In June of 2017, Chief Keefe was arrested after airport security found marijuana edibles and blunts in his bag. During his hearing the following Friday, Chief Keefe pled no contest to possession of a controlled substance, a Class 5 felony that is punishable with up to five years in prison. He was later released on bond, but was required to come back to South Dakota for his trial. His trial was almost two years later, on April 26, 2019, and the outcome was all in his favor. The judge gave the chief a suspended imposition of a sentence, which means no conviction will be entered as long as he meets the conditions set by a judge. Apparently, a defendant can only receive a suspended imposition of a sentence once in their lifetime in the state of South Dakota. When it was all said and done, Chief Keefe was ordered to pay a $500 fine, $104 in court costs, and $99 in testing fees. All the other charges were dropped. If you're wondering what the Chief is up to nowadays, well... It looks like he just sits around in his mansion all day, making music, smoking weed, and playing video games. Once in a while he'll travel around to do some shows, but other than that, he seems to live a pretty chill life. And is staying out of trouble. His last arrest was in June of 2017, so almost two years without an arrest is pretty good. Let's hope he can keep it up. Well, there you have it. All of Chief Keefe's criminal history jammed into one video. If you enjoyed this video, make sure to give it a thumbs up. And if you want to see more content like this, then make sure to hit that subscribe button and turn on all notifications. 
Also, feel free to comment on who you want to see a criminal history video on next. That's all I have for today. I'm out. I want to introduce you to a well-educated man who went to prison. We're going to hear about why he went to prison and what he did while he was in prison. David, thanks so much for being on the program. Tell us a little bit about your background before we get into your prison experience. Thank you, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Uh, I was a practicing and licensed attorney in the state of Illinois for almost 15 years prior to becoming a... uh, management member of a, of a startup biotech company in the Chicago area. Uh, and uh, that ultimately led me to prison uh, where I was convicted uh, in uh, the early 2000s of a white collar crime of uh, wire and mail fraud. Uh, Let, where let's I, talk about that for a second because people might have some level of, you know, that, that doesn't seem congruent. You're a, you're an attorney, uh, you later became a CEO, and that you found and yet you found yourself in the crosshairs of prosecutors. Tell us a little bit about what it felt like to learn that the Department of Justice was targeting you for prosecution. The case ultimately began as a uh, Securities and Exchange Commission civil case, and there was a referral, as I understood it, made to the uh, U.S. Uh, Attorney's Office in, in the Northern District of Illinois. It was How long did good. that take? You found out that there was a SEC investigation, and was there actually a finding in the Securities and Exchange Commission investigation? No, actually. That began, the SEC investigation began uh, in early 2002, uh, and uh, the SEC uh, ultimately did not uh, come to a conclusion in that case until after the criminal case was resolved. It was actually put on hold during the pendency of the criminal case. So the cases were going simultaneously. First, there was a Securities Exchange Commission case. Then that was put on hold and the DOJ picked it up. Is that right? That's correct. And when you found out that you were a target of of, uh, criminal charges, what did you do? Did you did you agree to cooperate or did you go to trial or, or did you plead guilty? What did you do? Well, when I first found out I was a target was during a, uh, a raid of our corporate facilities. And I wasn't told I was a target, but it was basically a common sense conclusion. I hired an attorney at that time and uh, the case ultimately was not prosecuted or the initiation of the prosecution didn't begin for another two to three years. So there was a, a long period of time that I remained the CEO of the company and chairman of the board, but then ultimately I relinquished those positions. Others came involved and-, and Tell us about that. That's, that's interesting. So you, there, the, the Department of Justice raided your facility, then there was a two or three year period before you were charged. Is that what I understood you to say? That's correct. And were you operating uh, in the capacity as if this was going to be, you were going to be exonerated from that raid? Or were you concerned that there could possibly be criminal implications? I was quite concerned there was likely to be criminal uh, repercussions. The problem was that if the company shut its doors at that point, there certainly would have been, in my view, criminal repercussions. So I continued as I was. 
So you continued, and then ultimately they returned an indictment. Did they arrest you, or did they just serve you? I was not. I was never arrested. Uh, I had counsel at that point, who the U.S. attorney was familiar with. So I, uh, I, uh, I just it was a uh, no cash, uh, self recognizance bond scenario where I simply appeared for my arraignment. And you appeared for your arraignment, and then. How did it ultimately end up with regard to the adjudication of that case? Did you plead guilty or did you go to trial? I ultimately pled guilty approximately two years later. What was the cost of litigating that case? Do you recall, David? Um, I believe it was $25,000. So not a tremendous amount of legal legal fees at that time. Um, Were you happy with the representation you received? Yes. And you ultimately agreed to plead guilty to a sentence of how long? 14 years. Well, was... let me let me backtrack. I did not agree to a, a fixed term of incarceration. Um, we simply agreed to plead guilty without a determination or agreement on the loss figure, which is the large driver of the sentence ultimately in these mail fraud, wire fraud cases, uh, my responsibility for a particular loss figure. So because that was left open, I didn't agree to a, uh, an, an amount of years. That was never- What were you anticipating with regard to a sentence when you agreed to take the plea agreement? Uh, in the area of 10 years. It was, uh, I was told by my counsels at that point, because I also had sentencing, uh, uh, specialist in sentencing at that point, that they were confident that I would be able to get to a minimum security camp initially. That did not occur. So you thought that you would get 10 years. Had you not gone, had you not accepted? Under NRS section 574.070, it is illegal to run, train, sell, or watch an animal fight. For dog fighting, Uh, It's a Category D felony with a penalty of up to four years for a first-time offense if you're running a dogfight. For a second-time offense, you're looking at up to five years in state prison and a $10,000 fine. And for a third-time offense for dogfighting, you're looking at a Category B felony with up to six years in state prison. Welcome to The Credit Game. This is the first and only channel that comes to you every single day, Monday through Friday and sometimes on Saturday, to give you the knowledge you need. If it's your first time on the channel, please do me a favor. It helps out tremendously. I know I asked you guys to do this, but hit that subscribe button. I don't know what side it's on. It's on one of these sides. The subscribe button really helps. It helps out you, right? You become a master when you can do 10,000 hours of anything in your life. 10,000 hours, you become a master at that craft, which equals end up being just slightly over a year. But you become a master, right? So the more you do things, the better you get. 
right? Chess masters have got so many hours in, and that's why they think 14 moves ahead. What if you could do that with credit? What would your credit look like, right? So that's why I teach every day. I don't come to you once a week. I come to you every single day to hold you accountable so you can watch the videos to make sure you learn. This channel is about learning. It's about taking action. It's about what mom and dad never did for us. Well, at least for me. And school's never taught, right? No school has ever taught the system of credit. No school has ever taught the system of finance other than professors in college, which is not real life. So why do I want to come to you every day? Because I want to make sure that you are watching the video. So do me a favor, subscribe, smash the like button if you can find your heart to do that as well, and turn on the bell notification. There's only three things I ask for you to do every day, and that makes our channel grow, which helps you and helps others, and ultimately helps the United States raise the national credit average from 667 to over 700. Now, we're going to talk about a topic that... Uh, again, just so you guys know, if it is your first time, you know that I get all my content straight from the heart, but also it's from what you guys are asking. This is probably the most asked question in credit repair, in credit, in any type of credit situation that most people ask this question. That is, what is a good FICO score and how do I raise it? That is the number one question I get from clients. So, what is a good FICO score? Well, you have to look at, again, what FICO is. We'll talk about that. And also, what are you trying to do? So, a good FICO score ultimately would be over 780, which is classified as Class A or excellent. Anything over 780? So, from 780 to 850 would be considered the same, same interest rates, same, anything over that, anything over 780, you're just saying I'm bragging, right? I got an 827, it makes no difference from someone from a 781, okay? Somebody with an 813, somebody with 849, somebody would made a perfect credit score, it is the same. So what is a good FICO score? I would say a great FICO score would be 780 plus. There are 150 million people in America right now, especially what we just went through with the economy, that have a credit score under 625. 150 million people suffer from under a score of 625. How does that, how does that happen? Like, I get it happens. And it's not your fault because you never learned it. Mom and dad may have not teach it. No school ever taught. How would you know other than trial and error? It's called the credit game. That's why I created it. I created it for me and I just happened to share it with the world. But I'm telling you this is that I want to come to you every day because I want you to watch the videos every day so you learn what to do and what not to do. And I'm telling you ahead of time, if you guys that are under 650 credit score have not taken action on your credit, it is going to be very, very difficult to get a vehicle, a credit card, a home, start a business, finance stuff, get new furniture, get loans. You guys are paying two times what you should be paying for a mortgage. Almost double. 
$2,000, like let's say a $200,000 home, right? Somebody with good credit should be paying somewhere between, I don't know, $1,000, bucks. You guys are paying $1,800, $1,900 for the same home. For a car, I got somebody that said the other day, I'm blessed, right? You guys hear, you know, like, I'm blessed. You're blessed. You're paying $650 for a 2011 Charger. And they're putting on Facebook, I'm blessed. That car goes for about 300 bucks a month at best. But you're happy, but you settled. You know, I don't, I don't BS you. I don't come here to, to BS you. I don't sugarcoat anything. I tell you the facts of credit because this is your life. And your life matters to me and I want to help you. But you got to commit to yourself. I get questions all the time about crimes involving moral turpitude. And in this video, I'm going to talk about what they are, but I'm also going to talk about why they're significant. And really, they're significant in three types of situations. The first is, if you're not a citizen of the United States, if you're an immigrant and you are convicted of a crime involving moral turpitude, then many times it will trigger immigration consequences, such as deportation, denial of reentry, or denial of the chance to naturalize to the United States. The second situation where it's significant is if you hold a professional license, such as a nursing license or a license to practice law, then many times a conviction for a crime involving moral turpitude will trigger disciplinary proceedings that could cause your license to be suspended or revoked or your inability to get a license later on if you apply for one. The third situation involves being a witness in court. As a general rule, judges will allow the opposing party to question you or impeach your credibility if you testify as a witness in court and you have convictions of moral turpitude. So, for example, the other side could say, well, isn't it a fact that two years ago you were convicted of forgery? Now, as for the definition itself of crimes involving moral turpitude, it's somewhat murky. But generally speaking, these are crimes that involve dishonesty or fraud. Examples would include burglary, child abuse, criminal threats, perjury, robbery, felony hit and run. They almost always involve a deliberate criminal intent to do wrong. To the extent that you are charged with a crime involving moral turpitude, and you're in one of these situations where it could really affect you, that is, you're not a citizen of the United States, you hold a professional license, you plan to get a professional license, or you plan to testify in court someday, then you want to do everything you can to fight the case and either get it dismissed or at least get it reduced to a lesser offense that is not a crime of moral turpitude. We've had a lot of experience and a lot of success helping clients do just that. Success, which would include in this instance, pursuing the internal process that we refer to, uh, but only if you meet those requirements. If you clearly don't meet those requirements, it doesn't make any sense even to pursue the internal process. For instance, 
if you haven't served 50%, if you just entered prison, you don't have any medical conditions and there are no cases in the prison, I wouldn't waste a lot of time with the internal process. Uh, if you meet one or more of the- Right okay. there. Let's just continue right there. You wouldn't waste time trying to lobby through that Bureau of Prisons. Does that mean you would then turn your attention to going to federal court or you would just not do anything? It would depend on how many other factors you have working in your favor. I was about to say, if you have one or more working in your favor, either a medical condition compromising one's immune system, uh, you are of, of an elderly age and or you've served 50% of more of your time, one or more of those conditions, I would pursue both the compassionate release and the 2241 approaches, once again, because they're filed in two different courts. How about a case like Michael Avenatti, who is, uh, you're familiar with that case? Yes, I am. And Michael Cohn as well. And neither of those people are 60 years old, and neither of those people serve 50% of their time. Both of them are going to home confinement. Very interesting. I was very surprised. But so what, so what I would find in that is that if you don't try, nothing happens. If you try, the odds may be 1%, but you're trying. That's, that's true. Yeah, that is very true. And, and so you know, I, I don't know that the, the right answer. I think every answer has to be on an individual basis. But it sure is helpful to know that, that people have a resource like you that they can ask these kinds of questions. And we did receive a question from a, from a young woman who's advocating on behalf of her son. Um, she asked, how, how long would it take you to prepare documents that would help her son or potentially have, help her son? I have prepared a detailed process sheet which, which uh, involves, a, is basically a, a detailed questionnaire the answers to which provide me with the information in full that I will need to file both a 2241 petition and a compassionate release motion. From the moment I receive that, those answers in full on that process sheet, I can file within one day. Now, that doesn't mean we will because the process is I will send the documents to the client for review and the client ultimately will send in the documents, but the documents would be ready for filing within 24 hours. All of the templates for these have been created. Uh, I've done a number of these cases in the last several weeks, and at this point, what changes the document are the specific answers to the questions that we've created in the process sheet. Well, that's very, that's very helpful. I'm sure that'll be very helpful for, for any listener. And if anybody wants to get a hold of David, I will be very happy to pass along his, his contact information. And, and David, we'd love to just, you know, have an ongoing dialogue with you on matters related to, uh, you know, what your experiences were while going through 11 years in prison. And uh, I want to just thank you for giving us your time this evening. Is there anything you'd thank like to say to the group? Well, I'd like to also say to the group that I'd like to be back and also keep you all apprised of developments as I hear them from inside the prisons from my current clients who are reporting to me on a regular basis, particularly on this COVID situation, which is so fluid. Uh, 
there is a lot of very interesting, I would say, but oftentimes disturbing information I'm getting back from the inmates insofar as the lack of testing for staff in particular. And those staff who are many times asymptomatic are, are likely to be bringing in, in many instances, the COVID virus to the inmate population. So that's very, very concerning and it continues on an ongoing basis today. So the name of our group is Prison Professors and David clearly is somebody who has gone through 11 years plus in prison, is, is eminently qualified as a prison professor and just want to uh, um, make it clear that, that, that our role is to help people understand what strategies that they can pursue, but at the end of the day, it's their choice on whether to pursue it or not. Um, my experience of going through 26 years in prison was always to be a, a self-advocate and to, to try and get the best possible outcome. David, I, I, I trust that you feel the same way. I do, Michael, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak to you and your listeners this evening. Excellent. So, so his name is David. He's part of the Prison Professors team. And if you want to connect with David, please let us know. Um, I'm sure that uh, Justin can connect you and uh, you'll, you'll have an opportunity to learn from somebody who's got a, an immense amount of knowledge, both about the... Chris is in New York City. Hey, Chris, how can we help? Hey, Dave, hey, Ken. Uh, great to be on the show. Thanks. How can we help? Yeah, um, uh, real quick, I just want to give a shout-out to my girlfriend, Maria Jose. She told me to call in. Um reason I'm calling is because I've got a lot of friends who are buying into cryptocurrency, and, you know, my investments are all in mutual funds like you recommend. Um, and I'm hearing about, you know, Bitcoin, dog or Dogecoin and all these other things. And I, I just wanted your thoughts on how to respond when people try to pressure you to invest into this stuff and maybe even get your thoughts on cryptocurrency in general. Okay. I wouldn't do it. Why? Because I think it's still very speculative. We've already seen big highs and big lows, and I think it's still rocky. I do think that crypto is coming to stay. I think right now it's a lot of speculation. And until it gets adopted and we start seeing businesses move that way, I'd, I'd stay on the sidelines. And it's not a part of our investment strategy at Ramsey Solutions either. So there, there's that, too, which, Dave, you're far more versed in that well, than they, I am. But know, I it's had an, it's had an incredible year. Yeah. People made a lot of money out this year, without yeah. a doubt. No question about that. Um, but they make a lot of money on cocaine, too. <laughs> That's um, right. And they make a lot of money on, uh, you know, playing futures. And they make a lot of money at, at the blackjack table. And they make a lot of money betting football. But these are not investment strategies. That's correct. These are, these are uh, things that you can jump into or jump out of that are uh, uber- unbelievable high risk mm -hmm. and so the problem is is that people don't perceive the risk in bitcoin and it's there it's 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 a it's not a, it's not fully adopted they made a lot of money this year made a lot of money in gold a few years ago too and tell people not to buy gold and all the gold bugs are going dave ramsey's an idiot he doesn't understand no dave ramsey completely understands i've lost my butt in a bunch of high risk investments over the years i quit doing it I don't like having to start over. It's too expensive. 
So if you want to start over, play crap that's high risk. If you don't want to start over, do what you're doing. But you're not going to convince friends who are making a bunch of money that they're stupid. Just let them be stupid and smile. It's okay. When you have your TR evaluation, you do have the right to representation if you challenge your classification. So you will get notification. The notification will set forth all the criteria that was utilized in evaluating you and determining what your tier assessment should be. If you don't agree with a tier assessment, you can request a hearing. And at that hearing, you can be represented by counsel and you can challenge the criteria utilized to assess your tier evaluation. What's really important is to try to get your tier score down so that you only come in as a tier one at highest so your public information is not displayed on the internet. Additionally, if you are required to register for life in the state of Nevada, you can make application to the district court in most cases after 15 years to terminate your registration requirement if you have in fact been compliant with the law and registering for 15 consecutive years. Additionally, after 10 years, you can make an application to the Attorney General's office to have a new tier assessment done so that if you are a tier three offender, after 10 years, you can seek to have your level adjusted downward so that your information is no longer publicly displayed. In this, I'm getting information from Pop's criminal attorney and he's in communication with LAPD and the detectives out there. It's definitely way, way closer than it was a couple of months ago. Justice will definitely be served. And, well, Stephen Victor was right. Because in the early morning of July 9th, 2020, the LAPD arrested five suspects on warrants related to Pop Smoke's case. The five suspects were 18-year-old Keandre D. Rogers, 21-year-old Jaquan Murphy, 19-year-old Corey Walker, and two other juveniles whose names were not made public due to them being minors at the time of the arrest. Various media outlets reported that the LAPD solved this case the old-fashioned way by going door-to-door -door interviewing everyday civilians in hopes that they saw or knew any inside information that they've not yet heard. They also went and obtained security camera footage from neighbors and nearby businesses, which played a big role in tracing the suspects back to Hoover Street in South Central Los Angeles. Upon arresting and interrogating the suspects, the LAPD retracted their first theory of this being a targeted hit and changed it to a robbery gone bad. It was also noted that authorities think that the social media posts made by Pop Smoke, revealing the address and expensive purchases, 
are what inspired the unfortunate events to take place. The LAPD also suspects that those involved in Pop Smoke's case were also involved in another case, dating back to September 14, 2019, which resulted in the death of 18-year-old Cameron Stone at the Rose Bowl parking lot in Pasadena, California. The three adult suspects are currently still in custody and are each being held on a $1 million bail. This is overall an incredibly sad situation. The world lost an extremely talented artist, all because a few criminals thought that they could come up on a successful rapper visiting their city. Pop Smoke was only 20 years old at the time of his passing, and had such a bright future in front of him. His posthumous album, Shoot for the Stars, Aim for the Moon, debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 Albums chart, with over 250,000 sales in the first week. This goes to show you how much people adored Pop Smoke and his music, and it's such a shame that his posthumous album will be his first and also his last album. While we'll never get to see what Pop Smoke would have become in the next few years, it's at least nice to see that those who caused his tragedy will be brought to justice and will hopefully spend the rest of their lives behind bars. And I really appreciate the LAPD for all the work they put in to make this happen. If you enjoyed this video explaining how the LAPD solved Pop Smoke's case, then feel free to leave a like down below. Also, if you're interested in seeing more content just like this, press the subscribe button as well as the notification bell to be notified whenever we upload. Also, if anyone has any interesting topics that they would want to see covered on this channel, then comment down below and I'll take a look into them. That's all I have for today. I'm out. Somehow or another, we ended up talking like he caught he. I think he did he text me. It doesn't matter. Regardless, we end up talking. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, hey, man, what's going on? He's told me he wanted to talk. He sent me another what, text and he wanted to talk to me about real estate. Okay, fine. So he, he said, hey, man, I'm doing real estate. Like, I'm renovating a house right now. I'm, I think he said he was building another house. He's like, I'm doing so good, man. And, and he, he's going on and on. I was like, okay, okay. And then I remember he, we, I accepted a friend request from him. And I went through his scroll and, and he's got through his, you know, scrolled through his, his Facebook and he has got all these pictures of him with just Louis Vuitton and, 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 uh, you know, he's, uh, you know, it's, it's just all kinds of, of, uh, all kinds of, of name brand stuff, you know, uh, Prada, whatever. He's driving a big car. He's got little videos. He's wearing clothes, $1,000, $2,000 suits.
he's he and his wife are all these pictures of them shopping. There's pictures of there's pictures of of them with you know just all kinds of of ridiculous stuff. And I've done rehabs. I've done lots and lots and lots of re sorry. I've flipped properties. Like I bought properties, fixed them, and sold them. And I've done tons of them. You don't get out of prison, put that whole operation together, and make the kind of money that he was flashing on Facebook. And I rem remember I immediately thought, no, something's wrong, something's up. What ended up happening was he he kept, he called me another time. And he, when we were talking, he's like, man, we got to get together. We got to get together. And I was like, yeah, I know. We, we, we definitely do. We definitely do. Thinking I'm not getting together with this guy. There's no way I'm hanging out with this guy. This guy, there's something up. And he kept talking about real estate. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm flipping a property right now. I'm fixing up. I'm doing this. I'm like, is that what you're doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm, in, I'm all into real estate and stuff. Oh, you flipping a bunch of property? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is like my, this is like my first one, uh, or, or first or second one. I forget what he said. And I just remember thinking, How are you making this kind of money? You know, where's this money coming from? This guy's done nothing his whole life except for fraud. He's been, he's committed nothing but fraud. I, I just, so I, I, I instinctively like, like my, I have pretty good intuition. My intuition told me something's wrong. He must have called me. I want to say he called me two or three times. Every single time. It was like, hey, I'm in Tampa. Uh, uh, can we meet for lunch? I'm like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I just left. I'm in Orlando. Like, I never ended up meeting him. Like, I always had an excuse. I'm sorry. I'm so swamped with work. I can't. I this. And I'm sure if I wanted to, I could have met him. But... I felt like something was up. Something was definitely up. And I just, something told me, this guy, he's trouble. Don't meet with them. You're, you know, you're not supposed to be, you can't be hanging out with felons. I mean, he's calling. There's nothing I can do. The guy calls me. Like, I, I can't be like, don't you call me again. You know, I hang up the phone. I'm like, all right, yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But I'm not mean with this guy. I'm not, I'm not going to associate myself with this guy. And, no big deal. I didn't hear from him for a while. So I probably heard from him a couple of weeks ago. And then suddenly someone sends me an, a text message that says, do you know this guy? And it sends me this clip, the clip that Colby's going to put on the, uh, I think we, you could put it up here and play it. Like if you embed it in here and just play the clip, someone sent me this clip from the news and here's the clip. When you hear at 11, this Davenport couple is accused of trying to defraud the government out of more than $5 million in COVID relief money. 
According to court records, the couple spent some of that money gambling at casinos. All right, so apparently Julio Lugo was committing fraud. He was, uh, he had applied for $5.8 million in PPP loans. And, you know, those are the loans that are set up to help corporations, you know, large businesses, small businesses, basically make payroll. <clears throat> so... Based on what I've read, I've read like two or three articles, and almost all the articles are just really based on on the uh, uh, the, the U.S. Attorney's Office will release like a press release, and then newspapers pick it up and they just rewrite. They're really just you know. Anyway, yes, I signed those documents. Blah blah blah. They don't actually charge him for anything. What ends up happening is a few months later, he fails a urine test, several urine tests, and they pull his probation and he goes back to jail for 30 months on a probation violation. But he probably wouldn't have gotten the 30 months did they not already know he was involved in another scam. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. I can't say, oh, it was just a probation violation because they knew he had he was involved in another in a in a scam. So they hit him pretty hard for, for a, a dirty urine. So those two people are the only people that ended up going to trial. Everybody else are going to prison. Everyone else um, had basically um, skated. They were never, never grabbed, never indicted, or they were indicted, but they were never prosecuted. Nevada has this wonderful statute under NRS 454.351 that's commonly referred to as ITS. And what it stands for is possession of drugs not to be introduced into interstate commerce, which sounds really strange. But the beauty of the statute is that just about every offense in Nevada involving narcotics is a felony where you could be looking at state prison. ITS is a misdemeanor. You may face no jail time at all, and you can have your record sealed after only two years. Most commonly, negotiations to an ITS involve cases where someone goes to a pool party um, and brings in a small amount of drugs or they're pulled over in their vehicle, or otherwise drugs are found on their person. Most commonly, um, these negotiations are offered to defendants with very little criminal record. But the important thing is that if you plead to a misdemeanor ITS instead of a felony prosecution, um, you can avoid the consequences of a felony. You might be able to get your case dismissed if you complete a drug class. Uh, you may have to pay some fines. You may have to do some counseling. The bottom line is, if you've been charged with a felony drug offense in the state of Nevada, 
and you're trying to keep a felony off your record, call us at the Las Vegas Defense Group and we'll see if we can get your charge reduced to a misdemeanor ITS so that you won't have permanent consequences. And captured him. They say, we have no proof that he was arrested, but they say they arrested him. This guy was able to do all of that and he came back with not a hair out of place. He was able, he, he was able to be taken in alive. I mean, it's a miracle how they did it because, you know, normally they kill. And they shoot you seventy. They shoot you seven hundred times. Kill, just kill, just over. They overkill. But somehow, they managed to have restraint. They figured it out. They preserved life. Nobody got shot. They gave the suspect multiple opportunities to kill them. The suspect even warned them, hey, I'm capable of killing you. I said, I'll kill you. They gave him opportunities to kill him because you know how they say, oh, you got a split second to respond and you got to do what you got to do, you know, because we're trying to make it back home. Well, they actually gave the suspect opportunities to not allow them to make it back home. I mean, they gave him that. And they got through it anyway. It was absolutely incredible to watch them work. I mean, it's like, man, this is this is textbook police work right here. I mean, this is top-notch academy. Damn. Maybe they can teach the other cops, the white cops specifically, because the black cops don't go around gunning down black folks or any folks. Uh, somehow the black people, the black cops, don't just go around killing unarmed people. Somehow the black cops, maybe the black cops get trained at a different academy. I don't know. It's some, I can't put my hand on it. But the data is not coming back right. What's up, Thomas said? Yeah, the data, it's just, it's something they figured out, man. They they, they had it right. Uh, kudos to their teachers, their instructors, uh, and them for uh, following, uh, following their training. Like, man, they did that. It was absolutely unbelievable. So we're going to talk about that in about 30 minutes. We're going to talk about that on Willie D. Live channel. You don't want to miss it, fam. I'm going all the way in. All the way in. I'm just getting warmed up right now. I'm just getting warmed up.
So 30 minutes, fam. Give me 30 minutes. I'm going to be on the Willie D Live channel. If you're on YouTube right now, I mean, if you're on uh, Facebook, you can click the link in the description and um, it'll take you to the Willie D Live channel on YouTube and you can just uh, click that button and subscribe. Make sure you subscribe. You want to make sure you get all of, you want to make sure you get all of your, um, your notifications. When you, when you subscribe, make sure you select all notifications. Otherwise you may not get any. The only notifications you're going to get from me is when I drop a new video. That's it. I don't send out notifications for nothing else. So click that bell and select all notifications. Otherwise, you may not get any. James, who is this? James Martin. Appreciate you, James Martin. Yeah. So, fam, get your comments ready. It's about to go down. 30 minutes. It's about to go down on the Willie D Live channel on YouTube, all right? Until then, fam, no more talk. Now, there are also regulations against other type of animal fights, for example, cockfighting. And a first-time conviction for running a cockfight is a gross misdemeanor that carries up to 364 days in jail. A second-time offense is a Category E felony with up to four years in state prison. And a third-time offense is a Category D felony with up to four years in the state prison. Stop doing drugs. And the judge will be like, fuck, this guy's just, he's unsupervisable. Like, we can't get him to behave. And they'll say, you know what, all right, we're just going to take you off paper. It's just a waste of time at this point. Well, I had actually thought about doing that. I thought, you know, if I would, would if I get out, violate, go straight back to prison, I'll go back for a year or so, and I could get them to quash my paper. The problem... With that is that that won't work with someone who has restitution. If you have a massive amount of restitution, they'll just put you back on paper. They're not going to quash your paper because you're unsupervisable. Now, I know several guys who've done it. Um, for instance, John Boziak, which is a guy I wrote a story about. And uh, he's going to be in a couple of the, uh, of the grind uh, vlogs. And uh, he just did... Uh, concrete and uh, MSCS media and um, I'm going to do a podcast with him and just a bunch of stuff's going on with him. He actually violated, went back to prison and they quashed his paper. I think he had like a year or two worth of uh, supervised release. He got out. He, he got in trouble again. They grabbed him. 
Um, he never got charged, but he knew inter just interaction with the police can get you violated. Now, they didn't charge him, but he was afraid that he might get charged, so he took off on the run. And um, when they caught up with him and he went back in front of the judge, the judge said, look, I'm going to, you know, you're going to get like six months and I'm just going to quash your paper. You're, you're unsupervisable. We keep catching, you keep taking off and getting caught here and caught there. And you're just, you're just not going to behave. So they quashed his paper. Now, I know lots of guys that have come back to prison, like I'll see them leave, they come back and they're like, yeah, man, it's great. I'm coming back for six months, but when I get out, I'm done with paper. So it's not going to work with me. Um, and here's the thing about being on papers. A lot of people don't understand is that you don't really have the same rights as everybody else anymore. Your probation officer can, 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 basically violate you for any reason at all. I can be violated for anything. If I'm caught, um, let's say, hanging out with a, a felon, they can, they can if, if I don't have permission to be around that person, they can violate me, send me back to jail for a year, 18 months. I know a guy who was hiding money, like he was paying his restitution, but he was hiding money. They violated him, he got 18 months. Um, I know a guy, I know about four guys, but I'll give you one example. There was this guy, uh, a black guy, super nice guy. He'd been in jail for like 10 years for a, a drug conspiracy. Well, then he got out. He was in Florida. He got out and he got caught in a vehicle. Like it was an SUV, uh, some SUV, he got, they got pulled over. He was in the car with three other guys that were felons. All of them had been arrested for drugs. The car was searched. And when the police searched the car, they found, uh, they found like 30,000 in cash. So finding $30,000 in cash is not illegal. Um, but what the cops did was they didn't charge anybody. They just said, you know, okay, well, we're going to notify your probation officer. So they notified his probation officer. He went back in front of the judge. Probation officer said, listen, the guy was one, out of the jurisdiction. Two, he was hanging out with three other felons, which he's not supposed to be doing. And they were all had drug convictions and $30,000 was found inside of the vehicle. He hasn't been charged with anything, but they used that to go ahead and violate him. And they, they gave him, I think they gave him like about 18 months, might've been 12 months, but I think they gave him 18 months and they said, when you get out, we're going to quash your paper. But the fact of the matter is he had to go back to prison for a year to 18 months just because he happened to be in the car with three other guys. Now look, they were probably doing the, a drug deal or something and he just didn't get caught. Okay, I know, I know that. The judge knows that. The point is, is that they can use pretty much anything. For instance, if I got into a vehicle and the car got pulled over and it was searched, and let's say there was a gun, the guy with me had a gun. One, as a, being a, a felon, hanging out with someone that has a, a weapon, unless that person is willing to say the weapon is his, and I have 
didn't even know the weapon was there, I could get charged with something called constructive possession, which means I had constructive possession of a weapon. I didn't have the weapon, but they can allude to the fact or basically tell the judge or the jury, whatever, that he had the gun for me. Like that was really my gun or I told him to carry a gun because I couldn't have it. Like guys will have their girlfriend go get a gun and keep it in her purse, but really that's their gun. You can get three to five years for that as a felon. You don't even have to have the gun. The point is, is that if I got into a car, some guy got pulled over, that guy had a gun, the police officer knows I'm on federal probation because it's going to come up and he notifies my probation officer, my probation officer are unclear of what this exactly means, but Reese was held on no bond. Academics at the time this occurred thought that this arrest had something to do with his previous arrest, and maybe thought that Lil Reese didn't follow the rules the judge gave him in order to be released. Now this seems like a pretty good theory, but as I stated before, Lou Reese was acquitted of his previous charges back in 2015, so it couldn't be that. Anyways, Reese was eventually released a few days later. It's once again unknown how this case played out. Lil Reese's seventh and final arrest took place in May 2018, after the Chicago Police Department and FBI Task Force raided Reese's apartment in the South Loop of Chicago. It was unknown what Lil Reese did for the authorities to obtain a search warrant, but during the raid, agents recovered over $2,200 worth of kush, a digital scale, and a bundle of cash. Reports never stated how much money the Fed seized from Lil Reese, but he later revealed in an interview with DJ Academics that one of the FBI agents who raided his place was former NFL player Charles Tillman, who joined the FBI training program in 2016 after he retired from the NFL. Charles Tillman, according to Lil Reese, is the one who seized the money from him which was reportedly $100,000. After the feds made this discovery, they arrested Reese and booked him on felony drug charges. A year later, it was revealed in court that prosecutors offered to lower the felony charge to a misdemeanor if Reese pleaded guilty and did one year of probation. Lou Reese would also have to pay a $584 fine. Reese obviously accepted this offer and pled guilty. Lou Reese hasn't been arrested since, and I hope it continues to stay that way. That's all I have for today. I'm out. <laughs> like, this shit just doesn't fucking jive, dude. This, and you know what I mean? But... Here I am, trying to give her the benefit of the doubt, or well, you know, we had, we had already had my son together, and I knew he's mine for sure, <clears throat> and you know, I still love her, and even to this day, I still love her. I still love her to death, and we're still married, even though I haven't talked to her in months, and we've been separated for four years. I haven't mm -hmm. seen her in four years, and um, since Nebraska, so this, this whole thing went down in Nebraska, and you know, our kids get taken away. <coughs> Excuse me. 
<clears throat> and I have a warrant out for my arrest. Mm-hmm. Because I just took off from after all this shit just happened down here in, in Florida. Let me get some water. Shit's getting wild. I'm parched. Yeah, now I'm I'm because <laughs> yeah, keep in mind by this point I'm I'm done with the with the book. Right, the book's been written. Yeah, we're in book number two now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Books. Yeah, like I said, this whole this whole whole other situation, and um, yeah. So, you know, the cops they get involved, and I got a warrant out for my arrest. So I'm like, fuck, dude, what the fuck? You know what I mean? I'm in my head. I'm like, dude, this bitch just fucked me. You know what I mean? Like, I came out here to fucking chill, and you fucked me because you're an idiot. You know what I mean? So. The fucking police get involved, and, you know, sure enough, they finally figure out who I am, and they run my name, and they came to the house to get me one morning, and <clears throat> this is the whole thing. Let me tell you this story. So, okay, so these, these cops show up. The gummies wore off. Yeah, I was it's all say, coming to them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> pulling teeth before. It's like, yeah, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so, so I'm working I'm working at this little machine shop um, next door to the house in, in, this, in, in this small town in Nebraska. And I'm over there at work, and I see two I see two sheriff's uh, cars roll up to my house. And I already knew what time it was. So I call my wife, and I, and I was right next door. I'm like, like, the police were outside. I'm going to jail. She's like, what, where? I'm like, they're outside the house. She's like, okay, just stay over there. And I was like, listen, if they know where I live, they know where I work. <clears throat> you know what I mean? He lives here. He works there. It's not very fucking hard. Mm-hmm. So... I remember what happened. I think they left. She told them I wasn't there, and they left. And then they drove around the back of the shop. And then, so I leave the front door of the shop, and I walk into the house. And I'm fucking hiding inside the house. And, like, the the cops are, like, surrounding the house now. Now they know I have a warrant out for my arrest. They know who I am. They're there to fucking take me to jail. They got the whole fucking house surrounded, dude. They're beating on the door. They got flashlights in the windows. My wife's not. My wife's out there just arguing with him on the front lawn. Like he's not here. My wife. My wife. Bless her heart. She's five foot even, one hundred and twenty pounds, and she's Cuban. And her English isn't. You know what I mean? Not not like ours. You can tell she's not a native. You know. So she's out there arguing with him. They finally come in the house. They finally find me in the basement. I'm inside of a cabinet. I'm hiding inside of a fucking cabinet inside of the basement. I can hear them all walking around the house for like an hour searching for me. I'm not coming out. I'm not coming out, motherfuckers. You guys are going to have to come down here and find me. Hide and seek, motherfuckers. You know what I mean? You're it. (laughs) You dig what I'm saying? So I'm in the basement. I'm inside of a cabinet. And I'm, I'm small, so I can curl up in a ball. And they pull open the cabinet door, and he shines the light in there. And I just stay still. And he closes the cabinet. And he was like, and they were going to walk away. And then I heard, I heard, I heard the footsteps stop. And then I heard somebody say something real low. Oh, yeah, he saw you. Yeah, I heard him say somebody real low. And then they fucking yank open the cabinet. They got the tasers on me. They got two of them with tasers on me. I'm like, fuck. And they're like, come out, your hands up. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to crawl out of this fucking cabinet, dude. And he just grabs my arm. They yank me out of the fucking cabinet. Dude, I come outside. I'm getting arrested. My wife is fighting the police. She's physically fighting the police in the mm, front yard. God bless her. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. Like, all right. She's going ham for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, she's yeah. fucking going ham. She's yeah. screaming. She's fighting the police. She gets arrested. They arrest us both right there. Take us both to jail. Yeah. 
our kids were already taken away. They were in like a fucking foster care or whatever like that. We both go to jail. Uh, yeah, so this was November mm-hmm. of 2015 is when I started this little journey, is when I when I got arrested and, and we both went to jail and everything. I didn't get to South Carolina because I had to go back and see my judge in South Carolina because that's where my warrant was out of. I had a federal warrant out of the Southern District of Southern Carolina, North, Northern District of Southern Carolina. What's up? This your boy, Big Man. You already know what it is, man. So let's get right to it. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about YFN Lucci. Now, YFN Lucci just got into the news lately because of something not related to his other court case. Now, what I mean is he was sued by a rapper, him and PMB Rock to be exact, man. Now, the last time we checked in with YFN Lucci... He had just been released from jail after being charged with murder and a couple of other charges involving a shooting that took place in Atlanta, man. It was a real wild situation, and it's gone kind of quiet, man, because, you know, the folks, they were basically coming for Wyatt and Lucci, and they got him. He was arrested. I did several videos. They dropped a 911 call that led to, the, to his arrest. They also, man... Posted the fact that he was out on bond. It was a whole bunch of stuff going on with YFN Lucci last month. Or even, should I say, the month before that. Now, the last we heard of him, he got out. And now we're going to be talking about this court case. Now, in the court case, it looks like him and PNB Rock were being accused of taking somebody's song for their hit, Every Day We Lit. Now, YFN Lucci... And his camp has yet to say anything about this situation. But PNB rocking them got taken to court. And I'm going to tell you how it went. Not in their favor. Now, before we get into the specifics, do me a favor. Make sure you hit that like button. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. And man, let's get it. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, let's talk about this YFN Lucci PNB Rock court case. Now, to be honest, it was more directed towards PNB Rock. Because in this story, it talks about the fact that wife and Lucci might have already made some type of separate agreement for this situation. Now, it doesn't go into any specifics, but this is the case, man. So there's a New Jersey rapper by the name of Rat Boy Cam. Now, Rat Boy Cam was suing PMB Rock and wife and Lucci. And he actually won the lawsuit. Now, the lawsuit was a copyright infringement case, and it was over the song Every Day We Lit. Now, for those of you who don't know, YFN Lucci Man was on a tear for a while. He had a whole bunch of hit songs that came out, man. And Every Day We Lit was one of them. Now, it was featuring a Philadelphia rapper by the name of PMB Rock. Now, a lot of you might not be, you know, up on game about PMB Rock. Even though he's pretty significant in the hip-hop game around that time frame. You know what I mean? He's gone a little quiet since then. But, you know, during that time, he was really, really lit out here, man. No pun intended. Now, 
in this lawsuit, it was saying that PNB Rock and and the producer June James had stolen from this New Jersey rapper Rack Boy. Now Rack Boy had a song called Everything Be Lit. Now just off the name, you could tell they're similar. Now when I listened to both songs. I mean, I kind of heard what was familiar between the two, man, you know, the similarities. But it looks like, man, my opinion doesn't matter because a judge, I mean, basically awarded uh, Rack Boy $1.7 million in a judgment, man. Now, this is what it says in a complex article in the news. It basically says this. It says, in 2018 lawsuit, in a 2018 lawsuit, excuse me, Rack Boy argued that the song Every Day We Lit, on which the three aforementioned artists were featured, is deeply similar to his effort, Everything Be Lit. Earlier this month, Rackboy's lawyer, Christopher W. Nero, secured a significant copyright infringement victory that netted his client over $1.7 million. Since an agreement was already reached with wife and Lucy, like we said earlier, and think it's a game records. The judgment was made against PMB Rock and the song's producer, June James. Now, this gets really interesting because it, the way that they split it up. So basically, in the judgment, they said this. He got over $1.4 million in cash, or he was granted $1.4 million in cash, and close to 268000 in pre-judgment pre interest. So a running and a running royalty plus cost and injunction against James and Allen's exploitation of the infringing work. Man, that sounds like they threw the book at PNB Rock in them, man. Because that yeah, that counts up to about one point seven million. But then the running royalty and all that and interest, man, that's that's crazy, man. So dude took to social media, and a lot of people have been talking about this, right? I've seen Say Cheese posted earlier. I've seen a lot of different news sources posted. I think Complex News is the closest to this situation. But it looks like... Healthcare providers are under increased scrutiny here in the state of Nevada, particularly in Las Vegas, after the prosecution of Dr. Desai, who was using cost-cutting measures that led to... Uh, hepatitis being spread in his office. On Monday, the jury in the hepatitis C outbreak trial returned a verdict against Dr. Depak Desai and nurse anesthetist Ronald Lakeman. Desai was found guilty on all counts, including second-degree murder, and Lakeman was found guilty on 16 counts related to the outbreak. So it's reasonable to say that healthcare providers can expect additional scrutiny in their office because there's a lot of public outcry with regard to uh, news that's come out of the healthcare industry here in Clark County. NRS section 422 defines healthcare fraud and healthcare fraud can encompass many things such as taking kickbacks from patients to prescribe medication or taking kickbacks to refer to certain doctors. It can also include billing patients for procedures that were unnecessary or procedures that were never actually 
provided by the physician. Uh, healthcare fraud can also uh, include charging excessive fees for, for procedures. Uh, again, based on events that have occurred in the community, law enforcement agents are much more aggressive now in scrutinizing the actions both of doctors and uh, other personnel in medical care offices. Here at the Las Vegas Defense Group, we represent a wide variety of people who may get caught up in a healthcare fraud investigation, including doctors, office personnel, and even patients. There are so many different people that may work in the office of a medical care provider. If you're under investigation, it could be that you have no knowledge of practices that are going on uh, at the hands of others in your office. It could be that people in your office may be doing billing, that you have no awareness that in fact there's some false billing going on. So the earlier that our law office gets involved in the process, the greater chance that we have of preventing suspicion from turning into prosecution. Matthew is with us in Santa Barbara, California. Hey, Matthew, how are you? I'm doing great, Mr. Ramsey. How are you doing? Better than I deserve, sir. How can I help? Oh, that's, that's great to hear. Um, I am a, yeah, I'm 18, and I've been following your principles for a long time. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that I learned them from my parents, and uh, you know, so I've never had a credit card, so I'm a little bit concerned about how to go about renting once I get out of college, um, because I know a lot of people won't rent to someone with no credit score. Well, there's two types of landlords. Um... There are ones that are what we would call a corporate landlord, meaning an apartment complex maybe that is owned by a real estate investment trust and it's professionally managed by a management company that manages 27 apartment complexes all over California or something like that. Those kinds of people are going to be very rigid and are going to expect to see something like a credit score. They're, that manager of that apartment complex is not allowed to think for themselves. They're dictated by their corporate office a set of guidelines, okay? You may not be okay. able to rent there, but here's what the irony is. I'm a multimillionaire, and I couldn't rent there. Yeah. I can buy the complex, but I couldn't rent there. You know, that's the irony of this ridiculous conversation. So exactly. Um, so that just means that I can't do business with them. There's some people I can't do business with today because they won't do something with me because I don't have a FICO score. And that's okay. That's okay. That's their decision to run their business. But my decision is, is I'm not going to go into debt just to get to play footsie with them. So, but you can rent to a landlord uh, of some kind that is able or willing to think for themselves. So let's kind of think about this. Pretend for a second you were a landlord, all right? 
And you had a guy come up, I mean, the way you were raised, let's say you owned a house and you were renting it, and you had a guy come up who's 22 years old and wants to rent the house. He has a fabulous credit score, two car payments, a credit card payment, and two student loans. Okay? Or you have another guy standing there who has no credit score and no debt. And let's pretend they have a job making about the same money. Well, if I'm the landlord, I think the guy with no debt and no credit score is a better has a better chance of paying my rent because he doesn't have payments coming out of his ears. And so as a landlord that's able to actually think and not just follow corporate policy, I'm more likely to rent to you than I am your doofus friend who's gone into debt to build up his credit score. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And and you don't even have to be a, like a Dave Ramsey acolyte to think that way. You just are using good critical thinking skills and going, uh, people that don't have payments can pay better. Oh, hello. You know what I mean? It's really dumb, right? So... Yeah, you know that's that's what you got to do. Is, is so you you know you knock on the door and this sweet little couple comes out that's retired and they rent, have a rental house and they're going to show it to you and you go well, I just graduated from college I don't believe in borrowing money I don't have a credit score but what that really means to you is is that I'm able to pay the bill because I don't have any payments except this one so it's really good for you that I don't have a credit score and they go well yeah that kind of makes sense and that kind of person will rent to you all day long and they might be a manager in an apartment complex they might be just that sweet little rental ca- ca- retired couple that has a couple rental properties or somebody like me, you know, that has a bunch of rental properties. And I just use critical thinking skills. I, you know, we do look at people's credit, but we do not rent based on a lack of credit score unless it's more, we're more likely to rent based on a lack of a credit score. Because a lack of a credit score at all means you don't have debt. It's the only way to have no credit score. And not having debt means you have money if you have a job. It's a pretty simple formula for me as a landlord. So that's how you look at it. But, yeah, there's going to be some people who turn you down. But, the, again, dude, they turn me down. And, and, you know, my net worth is tens of millions of dollars. And it's just stupid. You know, it's just the stupid world we live in. Marijuana in his hotel room. Chief Keefe told TMZ his side of the story, which he claimed happened like this. So, me and my homie Trey Savage was in the hotel room chilling when some fat-ass security guard started knocking on the door talking about how we needed to fix a water leak. So, his ass walked in and started looking around at us and immediately gave me the racist look and then started talking shit to me. I told him, I thought you was here to fix a water leak, which he obviously lied because there was no water leaking. Then he immediately started talking shit to us. He told me that he was going to call the police on me, so I called him a bitch. He kept saying how the police about to be on the way to lock me up, so I blew smoke in his face and pulled out 30 racks and said, I got the bond money. There's more where this came from. Keefe says he felt the security guard was racist from the moment he walked in the room. When TMZ asked if the chief was smoking weed in the hotel room, his response was this. As for what I was smoking in the room, everyone needs to listen to my song with Uncle Roe, All I Smoke Is Gas.
The next day, Sosa tweeted this to his fans to let him know he was free. Just got out of DeKalb County Jail in Atlanta, mad as f There's no update on what happened later in that case, but we can probably assume that the charges were dismissed. Sosa's next arrest happened on May 29, 2013, just days after his arrest in Atlanta. During the early morning hours, the chief was caught going 110 miles per hour in a 55 mile per hour zone while riding in his BMW X6 on the Edens Expressway in Northfield, Chicago. When the police asked Mr. Keefe the simple question, did you know your car was going 110 miles per hour, the chief gave them the iconic response of, well, it's a fast car, that's why I bought it. In the end, Chief Keefe was taken away in cuffs and was cited with going twice over the posted speed limit and for violating stipulations on his driver's permit. Less than a month later, Chief Keefe was ordered back into court for a speeding incident on the 29th. At sentencing, the 17-year-old rap legend pled guilty to doing 110 miles per hour in a 55-mile-per-hour zone and was given 18 months of probation, 60 hours of community service, random drug tests, 8 hours of traffic school, and a $531 fine. The chief was now free to leave, but as he left the Skokie courthouse, police arrested him once again on a misdemeanor trespassing charge. The chief was then rebooked and re-released moments later. Now, after spending the summer as a law-abiding citizen, Chief Keefe turned himself in on October 15, 2013 to the Cook County authorities after testing positive for marijuana. The judge sentenced the chief to 20 days in county jail and was released on November 8, 2013. On his way out of jail, Chief Keefe was notified that one of his conditions to get out required going to rehab for his weed problems. So, the chief did just that, and immediately flew to beautiful Los Angeles, California, and checked himself into rehab. After spending a couple of months in rehab, Chief Keefe was free to return home to his mansion in Chicago. Almost immediately after returning home, the chief went back to his old ways and began chiefing on that good Southside Chicago Kush like nothing ever happened. But that didn't last for too long because on March 5th, 2014, less than two weeks after checking out of rehab, Chief Keefe was pulled over in Highland Park, Illinois early in the morning for having expired tags on his 2010 Jeep Cherokee. When the officers approached the vehicle, they claimed it reeked of pot, and the chief allegedly admitted to smoking pot before driving. The police then made the chief do a field sobriety test, and let's just say, the chief failed. Chief Keefe was eventually charged with a DUI, driving on a suspended license, and cited for having no proof of insurance. Mr. Keefe was quickly released after posting a $300 bail, now, you're probably assuming that his next encounter with the law will have something to do with the chief going to court for his DUI and getting sentenced, but no, that's not the case. Chief Keefe apparently had enough of Chicago and decided to skip court and move to Los Angeles. For good. Like, literally, for good. The moment Chief Keefe steps back in Chicago, he will be arrested immediately due to his warrants and due to the mayor of Chicago's ban on Keith Kozart, aka 
Chief Keef. Now, this sounds bad, but it was honestly one of the best decisions Chief Keef has ever made. Since his move to Los Angeles, Chief Keef has stayed out of trouble for almost three years with zero run-ins with the law. But his hot streak came to a tragic end after he was arrested on January 26, 2017, after the Los Angeles police raided his Tarzana mansion due to his alleged connection in the violent armed home invasion of his former music producer. Sources say that producer Ramsey the Great was robbed at gunpoint in his Devonshire home and accused Chief Keefe and friends of breaking into his home and holding them hostage with an AK-47 on January 19, 2017. Ramsey also stated that he was robbed of cash, a Rolex, and other valuables during the incident. Chief Keefe and friends later bailed themselves out and the case was ultimately thrown out in April 2019 due to Ramsey the Great getting sentenced to 10 years in prison for charges of human trafficking. Remorse now, even though they may want to do it. In, in, in your position of sitting on the bench, my question is, if somebody has pleaded not guilty, and went through a trial, and I know that it's a very small percentage in your courtroom, can that person still do something to make amends and to reconcile and say, I was wrong, I wish I got this message sooner, I didn't, or does that come across to you less plausible? Yeah, and I think we've got a whole variety of folks that kind of fit into that equation, right? And I've had a trial where the guy said, I'm guilty for selling drugs, but that gun ain't mine. And so going into trial on that case by saying, I'm guilty of the drugs, I'm not guilty of the gun, then he's lost nothing in, in the credibility standpoint. There's other folks that maybe truly are innocent, and then they will have not lost anything in that situation and I, you know i pray to god that we don't convict innocent people but i know that that does if it happens once it happens too much and then there's other folks that are not at that point and maybe you were at, the, at that stage or not where you can't own up to it um i think at any point when somebody owns up to a problem, that's, that's better than none. If, if the person's truly guilty, if that's what we're talking about, then owning up at any time, usually it's 90 days or more between a conviction or a change of plea and sentencing. Um, that's not that long of time, but then in other situations, it's long enough to figure out, I screwed up, I made a mistake, I've done something wrong here and I'm committed to improving it. And I think most judges are really good about judging if that's a genuine apology and a genuine attempt to fix it versus I'm trying to shave a few years off my sentence. And I would agree that it's never too early and it's never too late to begin working toward a better life and working toward a, an opportunity to reconcile with society and particularly victims. 
What thoughts do you have on individuals who really come clean during the pre-sentence investigation report, providing a full written narrative to the probation officer that doesn't excuse their misconduct, but rather shows the influences that led that person there? Does that, when you see that at the very earliest stage, such as the pre-sentence investigation report, does that help your assessment or your deliberations over what an appropriate and fair sentence is? Yeah, it definitely does. I, I think it helps for a public defender or CJA counsel to be able to cite to the PSR to say, this is how it got there. You know, this person's father was never in their life. This person sold drugs at this point to get this. This person did these things and that tells the story and puts it all in context. So what we talked about at the beginning of this interview, the sentencing guidelines have no reflection of humanity. It's a grid, it's a chart. And I put you on X, Y chart. On the other hand, the 3553 factors, that statute mandates I put a human face on the individual standing in front of me. And so if there's, if there's things in the PSR that the lawyer can cite to and that the defendant can cite to and talk about it, you're creating your own evidence at that point. For good or for bad, you're telling your PSR writer in the probation office, here's everything you need to know about me and how I got here. Um, that That is good advocacy, if nothing else. It sounds like you're reiterating what, what, I, what I heard you say at the beginning of this interview and that what Sean and I are always telling people who are reading our materials is that the most important person in the sentencing hearing is the defendant himself. He shouldn't outsource all of his remorse to the defense attorney, but rather should make the investment of time and energy to help the judge see that individual for who he is and what influences led him there. Uh, am I correct in understanding that's what you're telling us? You're correct. And I may backpedal a little bit because the lawyer can help put that together, right? And I, at least in my district, and I can't speak to anybody else's, I have a lot of respect for a public defender's office and some of our frequent flyers on the CJA panel. Um, we appoint those people, we're used to seeing them, we've developed a sense of respect and go through is there an age cap on state justices we yes. talked about they had to be at least a lawyer for five or ten years but for state judges is there a max age a recent supreme court amendment raised that from 70 to 75 so at 75 on their 75th birthday they have to retire okay so you can't be any older than 75. can't be any older okay. than 75. so what about federal court judges how does it work how does a lawyer become a federal court judge um, how does that process differ from state? Well, number one, the judicial nominating commissions are not required for federal judge selections. We have it in Florida, and that's because our two senators have agreed to do it that way. A lot of states, the senator on his own picks his best friend or picks somebody he knows, and 
he gets sent up to, for a judgeship. In Florida, we have to go through the same process as the state. They put out an advertisement saying, look, you want to be a federal judge? Apply the Judicial Nominating Commission. They're appointed by the senators if they have a senator that is of the same party as the president. If you don't, then it's a congressman. Then they interview everybody just like they do in the state court, and then they send recommendations up to the senator. The senator then picks the one person out of the recommendation they like, then that person goes to the president, and then the president has a process through the Department of Justice. They investigate, they do background checks, then the president makes an appointment, and then I'm going to shortcut it, and then goes to the United States Senate for advice and consent or approval of the appointment. Now, if you remember, I didn't mention the Florida State Senate, because in Florida, when the governor makes the appointment, that person's a judge. He does not have to go to the Florida Senate for approval. Okay, so that's a big difference. So they have to be confirmed by the United States Senate, but the state court judges, at least in Florida, don't have to be confirmed by anybody if the governor picks them. That's right. Okay. Big difference. Right. So what is the uh, tenure, as we like to say, for federal court judges? Federal court judge is a lifetime appointment. Life, appointed for life. Anybody. Yeah. Any it, federal judge, lifetime and appointment. And it makes a big difference in how they act and rule on cases and how things are and how quickly they move right. things or change hearings on us yeah, right. with, you know, they don't, have, they don't have to campaign every six years. Right. They don't have to be popular. They can say, show up today. Actually, we're going to move it to next week, whether you have something right. or not. Right. Um, okay, and then what are the salaries for federal court judges? Well, a district court judge is 200, that's the basic trial court, and that's the one that I have, is $216,400. Okay, so more than state court judges. More than state okay, court judges. so federal judges, court judges yes. make more than that. So why would somebody want to be a federal court judge versus a state court judge, or why, why is there the difference in what type of people are attracted to the different positions? Well, federal judges deal with bigger cases. Um, uh, there's minimum financial cases. There's federal crimes. They just deal with a bigger case type, but a smaller case load. They don't have as many cases in federal court. So it's seen as a better position, right. more prestigious position. Is it often that state court judges become federal court judges or just straight from lawyer to federal court judge? It happens quite a bit. Uh, in fact... Which way? What happens is that the state ones become federal. Okay. And I have never seen it go the other way. Uh, well, just recently, though, two Florida Supreme Court justices appointed by uh, Governor DeSantis, both of them got elevated to the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals, a federal appellate court by Trump within like a week of each other. So he plucked two state court judges from the Supreme Court and put them in the appellate court in the federal system. Okay, so what is the percentage, would you say, that state court judges versus just regular lawyers make the jump to federal court judge? That's what I'm asking. Okay. So like, is it more lawyers? Is it 50-50? I would it say it's, prob it's probably a 50-50 okay. split. So it's not, it's not more common for you to take that as a stepping stone to become right. a state court judge than federal court judge. You can go just straight to federal court. Right. So if you, does it help if you have a lot of federal court practice, if you're a federal prosecutor or whatever, getting a federal 
judgeship versus state? It's hard to say what really will help. Uh, for instance, so we politics, just, obviously, right. that's the number I one. Mean, so there's some federal judges uh, that are federal judges, but when there were uh, regular lawyers, never tried a case, yet they became federal judges. There are um, prof law professors, never tried a case, but became federal judges. Uh, you really can't say, uh, and it really goes to the whim of the president when you really so, think about it. So really, the judges that are appointed have a lot less scrutiny almost, it sounds like, than the judges that are voted on because people can look into and pick what they want the most versus just kind of one person or a group of nine people looking in and seeing if you check the boxes that they feel is important. I, 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 in my opinion, I would disagree with that. Okay. I would. I think the people selected by judicial nominating commissions are, on the average, better qualified than elections. I'm here with Premier Nevada criminal defense lawyer Michael Becker. And Michael, today I want to ask you about elder abuse laws here in Nevada. And obviously we have, uh, you know, a, a sizable senior population here. And we're seeing more and more people get arrested for elder abuse. First of all, what is the legal definition of elder abuse? Elder abuse is the commission of a crime against someone who is 60 or older. And it's divided into several categories. Abuse, neglect, isolation, and exploitation. And by exploitation, I mean that would typically be like sort of embezzling money or, you know, handling grandma's accounts and kind of, you know, siphoning off money for yourself, that sort of thing. That's correct. We see those cases often. Um, the allegations are against a child or a caretaker who has access to the checkbooks or the credit cards or the ATM card, or uh, perhaps even uh, has access to the home and things come missing from the home. Now, if someone is convicted of elder abuse, what sort of penalties are they typically looking at? It would depend. Um, if there were uh, some type of neglect, that did not involve injury, uh, a first offense could be a gross misdemeanor. If you had abuse that led to physical injury, you'd be looking at a felony. With regard to the exploitation elements, the greater the amount of money that is lost or the value of the property that is taken, the more severe the crime. So it can range anywhere from gross misdemeanor charges to felony charges. So from relatively minor charges to very serious charges where someone could potentially spend years in prison. Absolutely. Now, obviously, I mean, you know, it sounds terrible, the, the whole idea of elder abuse. And, you know, intuitively, there's nothing worse than you know, sort of harming a senior citizen. But, but as bad as that is, um, unfortunately... There are a lot of innocent people who get accused of this, and, and, and a lot of times police and prosecutors rush to judgment, and, and innocent people find themselves being charged. I mean, have you found that to be the case? I, I would agree. I mean, I think we increasingly live in a society where when bad things happen, we like to allocate blame for bad things to happen. So, for example, if uh, a child who is a caretaker goes off to the store and they come back 
and mom has fallen and hit her head, you know, if they don't charge you for the abuse itself and say you did it, they're, they're, they're going to say, well, well, you left her home alone and you shouldn't have done so. And therefore, you, your neglect uh, created a situation where the likelihood of injury was greater. So I do think in this arena, elder abuse, you see a lot more charging that uh, juries ultimately find very questionable. And I mean, a lot of times if, if an elderly person is injured um, or, or sort of uh, not properly cared for or you know, loses, loses money, loses their nest egg, I mean, there's, it, there's, sort of, there's an outrage and there's sort of a desire to point the finger at someone. Uh, but sometimes, I mean, the finger is pointed at the wrong person. That's correct. I mean, um, for example, if something is missing and the caretaker is charged for it, you know, it doesn't mean that that caretaker had exclusive access to the home or, uh, or items belonging in the home. But sometimes the assumption might be that because they had such close access that they must have been the party involved in the exploitation of the elderly person. But the prosecutor still has to prove those charges uh, and usually to a jury uh, by the standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And you can't be convicted of elderly abuse if it's a gross uh, misdemeanor or a felony charge unless a jury unanimously agrees that you're guilty. And as a criminal defense lawyer, have you had a lot of success over the years in defending people who are charged with elder abuse? I have. Um, we've seen a lot of cases. Most of our cases involve uh, financial issues where there are allegations sometimes brought by battling children who are each alleging that one that 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 you know one of the children had had uh, had taken advantage of the parents. One rival sibling pointing the finger at that, the other. That's right. And um, I, I believe that we've gotten very good results in those types of cases. I'm attorney Michael Becker with the Las Vegas Defense Group. If you've been charged with elder abuse in Las Vegas or anywhere in the state of Nevada, call us at 702-DEFENSE and let's hear your side of the story Let's see what we can do to help you get your charges reduced or dismissed. What's central in a prosecution for gaming fraud is intent. So for example, if somebody was just intoxicated and sloppy and didn't realize the cards had been dealt or didn't realize that uh, they had moved chips uh, to a position on the table that constituted a wager, it would be a defense if there was no intent to defraud the house. So what's really important is we have to obtain the videos that show the activity of the player. And it's central to the prosecution's ability to, to uh, successfully prosecute these cases to have the video so they can prove that the person uh, wasn't merely making a mistake as opposed to committing a crime while gaming. Well, that allows you to legally drive a tank and shoot a tank. 
Not only could you do that, right? You could become a real life chopper gunner and shoot from a Huey attack chopper in the middle of the desert with an actual fully automatic minigun. All this stuff is legal in the state of Nevada. So if you ever wanted to come to Las Vegas and shoot a tank or run over real cars with your tank, go to Battlefield Las Vegas. They have packages that allow you to shoot a main battle tank round and also allow you to drive it and run over cars and all that stuff. Battlefield Las Vegas also allows you to shoot fully automatic machine guns military style so no semi-automatic these are fully automatic weapons that you are allowed to shoot here it's a really cool place to try out if you're new to guns or if you just want to shoot some military style weapons for those of you guys who ever want to be a real life chopper gunner you can absolutely do that with gunship helicopters for around six hundred dollars they will take you on a helicopter in the middle of the desert and you'll shoot at actual targets. They also have other packages like movie packages where you can shoot your own film. Like they would shoot, they would shoot a legit film for you. Like Hollywood style. Like this, what, name another place, another city where you could do this and you can't do this anywhere else but Las Vegas. For those of you guys who like to smoke in Las Vegas, you could pretty much smoke anywhere you want inside a casino. The only non-smoking resort is Park MGM where they do not allow smoke whatsoever. So for those of you guys who are allergic or who just don't want to be around that, go to Park MGM, stay there and you'll do good. But for those of you guys who just like to smoke in public and don't like being shunned for it, absolutely, you can smoke anywhere you want, except for at Park MGM. The only exception is that this is not allowed at restaurants or anywhere close to a restaurant. So if the gaming floor is next to a restaurant or next to a bar that serves food, then they'll probably tell you not to smoke. But anywhere else, you're good to go. Alright, some of you guys are going to like this one, but public nudity is allowed in Las Vegas, well, in certain areas. Before you guys get too excited, prostitution is again not legal whatsoever in Las Vegas. It is highly illegal in the city of Las Vegas. However, you can go to certain pools and beach clubs that allow European style topless topless activities. Just to give you two quick venues, you could go to Tao Beach Club or Marquee Beach Club, where they pretty much allow that. There's no rules against it. I said previously that I will make a dedicated video of all the places that you could go topless in Las Vegas. It is not every single pool, okay? It's not every single pool, it's not every single beach club. So make sure you do your research before you come here on which venues allow it and which venues don't. Um, also, the rules could change depending on the night, so make sure that you ask. This one is the best one and is one of the reasons why tons of people move here. Tax evasion. In the city of Las Vegas, well, in the state of Nevada, actually, you can legally evade taxes. 
and that's because there is no state income tax. When you move here, you absolutely do not have to pay any state income tax, which save you a bunch of money per year. You only have to pay federal taxes. Anyway, I hope that all was helpful. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. See you guys for the next video. Peace. Mercedes white, pearl white, brown interior, um, CLS 500. Mm. I didn't have to put any cash down on the car as far as um, at, the, at the dealership. I did pay them a deposit. I paid them $600 deposit and $6 upfront for 500 yeah. But I know I'm going to get my money back in three weeks. For sure. Times three. Yeah. Times three. <clears throat> Those deals exist. People were begging you to it. take my car. I love it. I can't wait to go uh, go car shopping again uh, later. I know you. I know you love the process. I was so, happy. Look, um, I, we we've been here for a good little minute, man. Uh, I want to say thank you for just opening up and being transparent. Like yeah. it ain't really about buying. Of course, you gave so much information on this uh, on this uh, this show that. Like, people can really be empowered and know Absolutely. that there are options. Absolutely. Like, you have money. If you want to start a business, you got a business in your driveway right, right now. I'm going to steal that line. <laughs> you have a business sitting in your driveway right now. That's crazy. That's aye, aye, aye. So, um, I definitely have, uh, one, let everybody know how they can get in touch with you. So I'm on social media primarily. I like to funnel everybody through my Instagram. I love my Instagram. So my Instagram is CEO Maddie J on Instagram. You on Clubhouse yet? Clubhouse? I heard about it. What is that? It's a vibe. Yo, you put me on? I'll do what I can. Oh, <laughs> I got to call somebody to call somebody. You know what I'm saying? He said you got to be invited to it. Uh-huh. And I, I use my invitation. Right. I got you. I got you. So I'm on Instagram right now. And of course, I got my website, clmaddyj.com. Anybody who wants to sign up for the course can hit that link. Yeah, link, link, link in the bio right now. Okay. The course is crazy. And it's a mentorship too. So we meet every Monday at 930 Eastern time. So it's not just a course, Mm. even though they're not. We're going, I'm going through the process. So you got the people in yes. that's on the business, and you're like yes. walking. Oh, we bro. We been going crazy. We just had a meeting yesterday. Yo, man, I just got my, somebody got a Range Rover. His name is George. Shout out to George. He got a Range Rover. And another, my boy Will, Mr. Pitsot Will, he got his um, scat pack. He rented it out from Detroit. He out here. Mm. He rented it out to his friends. He said, yeah, I made a couple, a couple hundred already. I just got my scat pack. What's the scat pack? It's a uh, Dodge. Dodge Challenger, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm excited. Let's go. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, so I, I, I will be uh, billing out this passive 10 grand a month. Just passive. Something yeah, like, yeah, you know, 10, yeah. 20 grand. Yeah, Something easy. Light. Something like. Something like. It's, 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 it's a good play, man. Hey, what's crazy is once this, the more this gets exposed to everybody, there's going to be so many people in this industry, yeah. even transferring from the real estate. Or doing both, yeah. Because this is like the, we're in the age where there's peer peer platforms, meaning yeah. we're more acceptable to share with each mm-hmm. other, share Uber rides, share our personal items, share our spaces. Yeah, that's what we're doing now with platforms like Airbnb, Peer Space, Turo. It's it's time to capitalize. I love it. Well, look, I, I like to make predictions on this podcast, man. Uh, I, 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 
I want to be able to ask you a question of where you see yourself in the next five to ten years. Golly. You already know the answer to that. Oh, my goodness. I know, I'm trying to be in heaven, man. I'm tired of this world, oh, man. It's stressful. I'm playing. So, so that we can look back on this video oh, to say, "Damn, we talked yo, about that. We talked about it. That's hard." So, if, okay, if they have that God doesn't come back. Yeah, if, there, if there's no video footage in heaven by the time this world is crazy, somebody gonna push that button. Anyways, but um, if we do have the the opportunity to still be, you know, I'm saying, right. to look back on this video. What I'm going to be doing is um, having hosting, ma teaching people the importance of masterminds, masterminding, and working together in unity. Right mm -hmm. now, there isn't groups and subgroups of people gathering together and helping each other with a specific mission. Whatever their mission is, there's I, I want to help cultivate those those gatherings together, not just online, but in person. Primarily in person. So that's what I really have a passion for. But in order for people to gather, they have to have common interests. Yeah. We typically gather when we play basketball or sports activities. But where are we gathering for business, specific business purposes? Or, um, of course, people gather for faith. That's what church is for. People gather for eating. That's what eating is for. But business is not really that too much gathering on whatever missions that people have so they can bounce ideas with each other, share their challenges, share their experiences, and be real vulnerable and transparent with each other and help each other grow. I love it. Both business, not just business as well, but personal development as well. That's yeah, really, that's for really sure. good. For sure. All right, well, look, man, I need y'all to do me a favor and get some bars together to close us out. Um, follow my boy, CEO Matty J. Yes, um, sir. This uh, podcast is a sponsor by the Morning Meetup, the Morning Meetup, the only wait, 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 wait. community. The Morning Meetup, I got invited to the Morning Meetup. I said, where do I sign up? Because this is the only, the only platform. I'm Las Vegas criminal defense attorney Michael Becker. Under NRS 200.485, the Nevada crime of domestic violence by strangulation occurs when a person chokes a current or former dating partner, spouse, child, or relative, not including siblings or cousins. Even if the strangling spanned only a moment and caused no lasting harm, prosecutors treat battery domestic violence with strangulation as a Category C felony. The penalties include one to five years in prison, and possibly a fine of up to $10,000. However, the charges could be reduced or dismissed through a plea bargain. Three common defenses include, one, the defendant was acting in self-defense. Two, the alleged victim falsely accused the defendant and possibly self-inflicted his or her own wounds and or Three, the incident was an accident and the defendant was not intentionally strangling the victim. If the prosecution can prove that the defendant unlawfully touched the victim but has no proof of any strangling, then the charge may get reduced from a felony down to a misdemeanor. If you've been arrested in Nevada, call my legal team for a free consultation at 702-DEFENSE. 
Our experienced attorneys at the Las Vegas Defense Group will do everything to try to get your charges reduced or dismissed. Each one of those is a victim. I was like, are you, they're all owned by Countrywide. They're like, no, that's not how it works. Well, then they turned around and they gave me an enhancement for having, for stealing more than a mil, or for whatever, you, uh, for stealing more than a million dollars from one financial institution. And I was like, who's that? And they said, Countrywide. And I went, well, well this doesn't even make sense. Like, Countrywide... You, you said, like, I didn't steal more than a, a million dollars from any one of those four countries. Right? I said, yeah, but if you add them together, it's more than a million dollars. I said, but you said they were four individual victims. And then they said, no, no, or they're four corporate corporation victims. So four victims, they said, yeah, but for the purposes of this enhancement, we can add them together because they're all owned by Countrywide Bank. I mean, like, that's double jeopardy. You're hitting me for the same thing over and over again and just calling it something else. So the point is, is I got hit for that. I probably did an extra couple of years for that. Uh, and that's what they're going to do to Lugo. They're going to stack the charges, and he's going to say, I'll plead guilty, but he's going to cooperate against all of his friends and family. And he's going to say, you know, uh, Jimmy helped me and Tommy helped me and Bob helped me and so-and-so helped me and he did this and he did that. And he's going to put it together for him. And I'll bet you he still gets between five and 10 years. He's still going to get between five and 10 years. Even with all that. If he just says, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to cooperate. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm just going to, I'm just going to take my lumps. Uh, you know, it's just, just a, I'll plead guilty and uh, I'll just take the charge. He's going to get 20 years. He's going to get 20 years because he was he was on supervision when this, or on probation when this happened. He'd just been released from prison. He's already got a criminal history of fraud. I mean, and this is the other thing is you get an enhancement for fraud against the United States. He's going to probably get an extra two-point enhancement for fraud against the United States. I mean, every time, every one of these points incrementally gets larger and larger. So your first, you know, once you're in, once you're up to like 10, so let's say the next point, let's say 10 and you're going to jail for a year. Well, the next enhancement is, let's say it's, Let's say it's six months. So okay, we're going to add. You're you're currently you're currently getting 120 months, but you also have this enhancement. Well, that enhancement adds another six months. Now it's 126 months. Oh yeah, and we're also going to give you this other enhancement. Well, the next enhancement it's not six months. Every new enhancement adds more months. So the next enhancement is eight more months. So now you're doing. Um, you're doing 134 months. Oh, and then, and then we've got these other two enhancements. Well, that's not eight. Now it's, now it's 11 plus, you know, so that's the next one's 11. And then the next one on top of that is going to be, you know, 14. So you're like, it just, next thing you know, every enhancement ends up, 
By the time they were done hitting me with enhancements, every enhancement, every enhancement for me, okay, was like 40 months, 43 months, 48 months, 52 months. I mean, they smashed me. It was, it was, it was just detrimental. Every time somebody was like, oh, well, also he did this and that's another enhancement. That's a one point. And some of these enhancements are two, three, four points. My point is this. He's going to do some time. He's not getting out. He's not going to get out on, on, uh, He's not going to get out on his own recognizance. He's certainly not going to get out on bond. He doesn't have any of his own money. I can't imagine that he could prove. If he had any of his own money, he, he wouldn't be ripping off the federal government. So most likely, he's going to sit in prison. He's going to cooperate as best as possible. And... And he's going to get sentenced and he's going to end up going back to Coleman and he's going to probably go back to B4. No, I'm just joking. I don't know. Where. He'll probably go back to Coleman though. He'll probably go back to Coleman low. He'll see all of his old buddies. He'll walk in. They'll be like, I can't tell you how many times I saw guys leave. Listen, I did 12 and a half years. I watched guys get out of prison, get a new charge, come back to prison, serve their time for that new charge, get out of prison again, get another charge, and come back to prison. That's how long I was there. So he's going to see a bunch of the same guys. And they're going to walk in. He's going to walk in. I've seen these guys. They walk in and you look up at them and you go like that. And they're like, they just shake their head and they go, and you go, what happened, man? And they're like, man, bro, you can't believe this, man. I, I got jammed up because of this or that or this, or, you know, I was doing this and I was doing that. And Between time, right? Mm -hmm. So. I start uh, meeting people. Like the, the best place to network for me has been. What kind of car did you have at this point? I had um, a Toyota. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't have a Toyota Prius. I had a Jeep Wrangler. Jeep Wrangler. So I got a Jeep Wrangler, right? And the Cardinal was high. So this all all this stuff helped me. Mm -hmm. So this all these things that you think are bad, they helped me. I had horrible credit. Got it, right? I just couldn't even get it myself. I had my brother and my best friend co-sign for it together. Dang, you need three people on one car? Right, it yeah, wasn't me. Man. I wasn't even in the equation. Oh, <laughs> I couldn't get it. My credit was that bad. I'm talking about my best friend and my brother. They they uh, co-signed to get me a Jeep. It was my dream car. I, all of them was a Jeep. I had good money. I knew I could pay the note. Mm -hmm. I was working at the jail. I had good benefits. Yeah. I had a straight salary. I was getting like 70000 a year. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? I was doing a lot of overtime. So That's crazy. Seventy grand a year. Credit still trash. Still credit terrible. Car. No knowledge of it. No reason to fix it for me. I did every every time you know in our community when we hear the word credit, we start huh, huh, right. start remixing. Right. We like you be like oh, but but you know it's taboo like or something like right. people don't know what the deal is. But really, we when you, later on you find out it's just a tool, yeah. like anything. It's like money is a tool. You get what I'm saying? I don't even see money as valuable as credit now. Like it's like money is just money. It's like yeah. cash.
who needs it? Right, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, I got credit. So, but long story short, before all of that, I had this high Jeep Wrangler. So I go out and I quit and I got this Jeep Wrangler and uh, I'm, I'm networking at LA Fitness. You know, that's a great place to network for me. Mm. And I found this art of networking, how people just die, dying to give you information. Oh, for sure. People who know stuff, like people think it's like hard to network. People who want who who actually are successful, they want to tell people. Yeah, hundred percent. They dying for here. Take it, blah, 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 blah. You be like, oh, 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 oh take that. <laughs> so you know, so I'm in LA Fitness Day, and then like these dudes talking about Airbnb, right? They like, I tell them what the hell is Airbnb? These dudes like, you ain't got Airbnb, you slave. That's how they looked out to me. Oh, so they were all like in the game. Everybody in this gym. I'm at Buckhead LA Fitness. I'll never forget it. All of them had three LA Fitnesses a piece. I'm at three uh, Airbnbs a piece. Really? Three of them a piece. They looking at me like I was a simp. You ain't got an Airbnb? You walling. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Every one of them. So clearly I go get an Airbnb game ASAP. Mm. And you know, this all circles, this is like a reason I got this high car note. I'm an entrepreneur now, I quit. Where's my job? I was like, I gotta drive Uber and Lyft. Now my credit good, right? My credit good now, cause I quit. So I went, I was like, let me go get a Toyota Prius. It's a great car to drive Uber and Lyft with, right? right. $20 so filled got up. the Jeep and the- I got a Jeep and a Prius. Yes. I used it, I didn't have no cash or nothing like that. I had my, I left with my pension from the jail. Well, why didn't you just use the Jeep to- To Uber and Lyft? Yeah. I, yeah, I did that, but it's lifted. I was I was do, immediately going to do it with the Jeep, but it's lifted and got 35-inch mud tires, heavy-duty front bumper. You know what I mean? So nobody oh. want to climb into the Jeep to the Uber. Right, right. So I was like, I got to get another car. So I go get the Prius, the economy efficient car. I was like, I'm see, I'm being strategic now. Mm -hmm. I got them. You know what I mean? I'm going to do this. I'm going to use this money that I got from my pension, get the Airbnb, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? And try for it out. Right. So <laughs> I do that, right? So I do that, and then um, so the, this this not chronological. Like the story is right, like right. it's all everywhere, but it's around the same time. For sure. So long story short, I go jump in that Prius. I'm doing 16 hour shifts in that Prius now, right? Mm. I'm going 16 hour shifts. Um, I'm making good money though. I'm making like right. 2,800 a week, bro. I'm going crazy. I'm they're kicking me off the app. I'm driving from Lyft to Uber. 16 hour shifts, seven days a week, no time, but I got money. So. All this time, I'm just trying to get my credit up to that right score. Right. I just bought that. I just bought that Prius, so it's a three month redemption time on that whip. Right, right, right. I need to get it to re up. So I'm just like, I'm just thinking of plans, business plans. I'm going to these different, different things I would never do. Yeah. Just socializing with people who do that stuff. So long story short, I get, I'm going crazy in the Prius. I I find out about this thing called uh, Raleigh Rides which is Toro now. Raleigh Rides. Oh, right. Relay Rides or something like that. That's what it was called at the time. So I find out about that. So now, all this stuff is happening at the same time. I got the, I'm, I'm trapping the, uh, I'm trapping the uh, Prius out. I'm, I'm doing that, I'm riding around, I'm leveraging. I'm like, boy, I'm getting 2,000 a week. I got the Airbnb, I pay for it with my pension money that I pulled from the jail. Oh, six figures of Uber? Bruh, when I, oh, but it wasn't for a long time. I did it for like maybe six months and I was making 2,000 a week constantly. You feel what I'm saying? Me and my brother, we out there going crazy. We talking to each other like on walkie talkies type of thing on the phone. <laughs> we out there all day, where you at, man? I'm, I'm in Tucker, where you right. at? Oh, uh. we riding around crazy. So to get to the point, 
I was going, I was getting busy, but I didn't have no time. So I had to figure out, I was like, damn, what am I do? I still ain't got no plan. Mm. So I got the Airbnb going and still ain't make money. I just, I'm just getting it together. Mm. So I get it together. I get one. I get that one out. I start trapping out. It's making good money. I was like, it's solid. Nothing crazy. But I put the Jeep on the Raleigh rides and I'm talking about my car note was 400 mm. and I was making 3,200. A month off that joint. So hold on. So Raleigh, how did you get introduced to Raleigh Rise? Uh, I just met a guy who was renting his car out on it. He's from San Francisco. In Las Vegas, if you were charged for the first time with an act of solicitation, we can almost always get those charges dismissed. Now, you may have to intend some type of class uh, for sexual awareness, but if you complete the class, the charges against you would be dismissed. I'm attorney Michael Becker with Las Vegas Criminal Defense. If you've been charged with a criminal offense in the state of Nevada, let's sit down, hear your side of the story, and see what we can do to get your charges reduced or dismissed. Um, I said, look, I'm gonna just, I ain't gonna do all of that. I'm gonna just try it. Horrible decision. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what to do, guys. Whatever I'm trying, ain't working. <laughs> but you know, I'm okay. uh, I'm open to the companionship for sure. But it, it's going to take a, that understanding person. Does she have to be an entrepreneur? Nah, she, she don't got, have to be up. Nah, no. That's not even important to me. I'll turn you up. I'll turn mm. you up. But the problem is, um, the problem is understanding. I got to have yeah. people who treat me how I treat them. Yeah. And that's the only thing. I don't have high expectations, but you I got know, high I don't even think you would like that. I don't think you would like someone treating you how you treat them, where they're not the priority. If you, well, I, I treat you them as a priority. priority. I treat them as a priority. I, I just want to be you to be understanding in a situation to where, like, this is how this kind of guy I am. If my girl is going out with her homegirls, I'm I'm hyping her up. Go out with your homegirls. Go turn up on the city. Your, your dress ain't sexy enough. You gotta give you dudes gotta be buying you drinks. You need to get it for free. That's why I'm like, if you ain't like that with me, like if I the one time right. I'll never go out. Right. I don't smoke a drink. What I'm gonna do out? <laughs> if I go out and you give me a hard time, that's what girls do to me. Mm. Because it's a I, I need a secure woman, bro. Mm -hmm. You gotta be top notch secure. Yeah. If you top notch secure, we we might can make it make sense. But it, it's this is the trouble with dating too. Like so, you see the facade. What's the first thing people ask you when you start dating them? What's your social media? Mm. They see that. It's over. You know what I mean? It's like, yo. Yeah, your social. It's no, over. bro. Yeah. And if I if I meet you out in a damn Lamborghini, right. it's over. It's like I try to <laughs> I, I try to get them to date me for me, like, and you can't get them because they already didn't got the damn aphrodisiac. <laughs> <laughs> and they got the damn race. They, the race talk is different. I just swung the door closed one time when I joined. She just ran to the car. I was like, <laughs> So, you know, I try to meet them like in platonic places. Like, like the, the girl that I tried that with was on an airplane. And she didn't know none of the social media, nothing. Right. So that's why I was like, let me go there and just see what it's like. Oh, she true. wasn't ready. <laughs> she she wasn't, wasn't ready. She didn't know. She wasn't ready for the lifestyle. It's different. It is oh, different. And I goodness. understand it. So I got to meet somebody that's understanding of the lifestyle. Yeah. Understand of the entrepreneur and treats me how I want to be treated. Like treats me how they want to be treated, gotcha. which is wants to be able to go out and have. I want you gotta. The main thing I think it is they gotta have a life outside of me, mm. even when they're in a relationship. I feel like 100%. because women tend to do this in a relationship. 
they 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 turn into a whole other person. Mm-hmm. So before the relationship, the person that you fall in love with, like while they're like you talking phase, mm-hmm. she going out with her homegirls doing yoga and shit. Oh, this is dope. I miss her. Man, once y'all make it official, she's right here underneath your arm. <laughs> you like, damn, why are you gonna get out of there? Like, bro, like why you gotta be around like, waiting for you to come oh, home, waiting for you to call versus going out there and living their life and having life outside mm-hmm. of me, mm-hmm. which would be healthy for mm-hmm. any relationship. Man, these girls would be like, you mom will be my personal assistant now. <laughs> Where you there? And then they get mad because I don't like to combine like uh, finances and all that stuff all in this phase. They yeah. they want it because it's different. Like the same thing, the reason why people want the business and they want instant gratification, mm-hmm. it's the same thing in a relationship. They want to get married immediately. You want to combine your, my bank account with you? Shorty, you gotta have, t- <laughs> yo, it, and it's a stressful thing. Like I had it, even my last serious relationship, it was a big problem. I didn't want to combine finances with it. I'm like, yo, you gonna do me like, right. well, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure somebody gonna slide in your DM right now, but I want to say thank you. It's cat. Oh, I got, a, uh, I got, a, I got a question. All right. So I like to make pred- predictions on the podcast. Okay. okay. I want to know what you see for yourself in the next five to ten years so that we can watch this later and be like, yo, Mitch said he was going to do that five years ago. We got the video. He did it. Predictions for myself in the next five to ten years. Five to ten years. I want you to think about that. I'm going to do a quick commercial real quick, okay? All right, dope. All right, cool. So um, this episode, as always, is uh, one sponsored by... Mitch's course, okay, because I'm going to get that joy, and I hope everybody else gets it too. Um, but The Morning Meetup, The Morning Meetup, TheMorningMeetup.com is the only, the only community that gathers every single day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the betterment of the entrepreneurship community, okay? We have hundreds of entrepreneurs that gather every single morning, and every day we have a topic. So every month we have one topic, like this month we're – we're uh, adopting the, biz- the the millionaire mindset. So every day we're talking about adopting the millionaire mindset. We're we're interviewing multiple millionaires every single morning um, this month. So we'll have about ten to fifteen ent- millionaires that we have that we're going to sit sit there and interview them point blank range because I I, I just got to identify how they think and we're doing it in front of hundreds of uh, people on a Zoom call. Okay, so. Uh, Join. It's only a dollar. Start off for a dollar. You need to be in the community. Um, TheMorningMeetup.com. TheMorningMeetup.com. You can start out for a dollar trial. Seven days. If you like it, stay. Great. If you don't, you can leave. No contracts, no obligations. Um, You can leave when you want to. But I think you're going to stay. So go to TheMorningMeetup.com and enroll today. Mitch, five to ten years, brother. Five to 